To the Dave Lee Atlanta podcast, I'm of course your host Dave Lee, and this is episode twenty. Oh, we've done it! We've done twenty episodes. Are you excited? Stayed motivated for that one. I know. I can't wow. believe it. Thank you, God. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cut it out. Cut it out. Oh, we're here. Twenty episodes in. Technically, technically twenty-one, including that pilot episode. But we're making this a mini celebration today. Um, well, not really. We'll celebrate at this beginning part, and then we'll, we'll forget all we'll about done it. it. We've Celebration. Done it. Celebration's over. Over. Done. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Cut it out. Don't have enough time for that today. We've got a big show today. We've got an enormous show, and I'm fired up. Ooh, look out. Dave's pissed off. I'm pissed off. I'm fired up because Dave's pissed off. people have been pissing me off this week. I'm sorry. I'm not normally. Uh, I'm not. I don't usually like to start a show on this on this uh, on this note. But it's been it's been a, a harrowing week over on Twitter, on social media, on everything. It's um, wouldn't know. I don't know about all that. Shit. You're not on it. You're not no, on Twitter. You're not on anything. Couldn't be bothered with that crap. Um, you just uh, you you are so blissfully just blissfully unaware blissfully of everything that's going ignorant. on, which is so beautiful. And I wish. Yep. I wish I could be, but it's been a, it's been a crazy week. People, man, are just going crazy. So there's a bunch of stuff that people have been, have been really annoying me with this week, and we, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go over all of that. Um, of course, I am here. I should I should introduce you once again. We're here with old mate Rick, oh, the old boy. The old boy is back again. Hey guys, studio. hope we're all well. Yeah, uh, you. We are. Your first show back for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple Good of weeks. to be back in the studio. Three, three weeks back or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. but it's nice to have someone in studio, as always. Over the last few weeks, I've done, uh, like, Zoom calls and stuff, which are always fantastic as well, but it's great to have someone in, in studio as well. It's good to be here. Yeah, um, I've 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 really slacked out of my intro this week. Just, just to see you pissed off. That's to see me. I'm going to get fired up today. I'm sorry. It's going to be a fiery, spicy, spicy pod, guys. Ooh. This this podcast goes out on all major podcasting platforms: Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Audible. The visual element goes out on YouTube at the same time, but also two days earlier. If you are a patron supporter, if you're not a patron supporter, head to patreoncom forward slash Dave Lee down under. Uh, you can support me for as little as a dollar a month and uh, get all that great access. So uh, you can find me on YouTube at Dave Lee down under over. On Twitter, Instagram, I always chuck links down at the bottom there if you want to write an email into the podcast, davelypod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on the podcast platforms, what do we want? Only good ones. We only want the good reviews. So sending some good ones. We've been getting some good ones, really good ones recently. Have you? Like reviews and ratings and stuff, being fantastic. That's because I haven't been on. Well, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, probably. Probably. And the music's going to round out in about 10 seconds now, which is good. 10, 9, 7, 6, 5... Four, three, there we go. There we ah. go. All done. We're into it. We're into it. Episode 20. Good. It's good. Sorry, guys. We started on a real um, heavy note. A real. I'm fired up already. I t- we're going to keep saying it. But we're going to start off, as per usual, a little lighter. Although, we've uh, been in lockdown again. <laughs> between yeah. between the last episode yeah. and this one, we went into like a mini, what do they call it? The Fire, snap lockdown. They call it a circuit breaker lockdown. Yeah. Snap lockdown. Five day lockdown. Five days. The last one I record. The last pod I recorded 
I was the Saturday morning, the one I did with John Flickinger from the Flick Pick. Great guy, awesome podcast. Yep. I recorded it with him, and I was saying to him that there was there was word going around that we were probably going to go into another lockdown because we we can. If you've been following the podcast here in Melbourne, uh, you'll know that we've had two major lockdowns, but then kind of in between and after. We kind of had these mini ones kind of pop up here and there whenever something in the community, like a bubble, starts yeah, to emerge. Right. So we had another community bubble kind of rise that they were a little bit concerned about. So they lo- they they put us down in a five-day lockdown. But, yeah, when I was speaking to uh, – I'd rather a five-day than a five-week. Oh, exactly you. right. It's good to jump on it straight away. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when I was speaking to John on the last one, I said to him, look, I think we're about to go into another lockdown. It just happened like an hour after I finished that podcast with him. We, yeah, we, that's yeah, right. They announced, the Premier came out and announced, oh, yeah, we've got a, uh, we're going to do the snap, snap lockdown, lockdown five days. We're out of it now. We're yeah. back to normal again. So it's been an eventful, like, week. Um, well, you were working yesterday. You went out and did some work yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, which was shooting good. yesterday. Well, um, not shooting, shooting, but yeah, <laughs> photography, photography. Shooting. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and it's just been business as usual for me. Always, I'm in there editing, and then I get out every couple of days to go for a walk or a run or whatever. And uh, it just it didn't feel like we were in a lockdown. It's just that no, you know, again, it's just that thing where you can't go somewhere if you want to go somewhere. Mm. But luckily, I didn't need to go anywhere, which was okay. So yeah, we're out of that lockdown again. Everything seems to be okay. I've got three events coming up this week. Getting a little nervous to get back out in the yeah, public. Yeah, that's right. Well, we've got two film screenings. We've got one yep. on next Monday. Uh, the for, following. And then yeah, one. Someone? What's the Monday That's one? for uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. which is that Warner Brothers film. Oh, yeah, yep. Um, it's being handled by Universal because they do the Warner distribution now here in, in Australia. Um, and then we've got um, um, Raya and no. the Last Dragon for mm. Disney right. on the weekend. And then there's uh, like a like a Disney like um, event thing that they're throwing for the launch of Disney Plus Star as well that, I, that I'm going to go to, which is going to be awesome. I'm very excited about that one. Um, so, yeah, like three events in a week is weird. <laughs> it's like almost like, oh, bam, we're back to normal, but I still feel Your a little bit. Your head's going to explode. I know. I'm feeling a little bit uh, – I'm be, excited. A bit nervous about it? Well, well, yeah, public? Well, yeah, well, because the last screening I went to, which was for the little things a few weeks ago, no one in the cinema was paying attention to any of like the social distancing laws or uh, rules or anything like that. Because you still had to wear masks. Had to wear masks. And they asked us at the front, please wear a mask while you're in the cinema. Of course, if you're eating food, you don't have to wear it. But when you're not, wear it. Um, make sure you like sit with, like one row. Uh, you know, leave, leave an leave, empty row. Leave an empty yeah. row. Leave like two or three empty seats between. No one like was abiding by any of it. There's no one in masks. I must have been the only one just sitting there. Like a grumpy old man, just like, oh, in my mask. You moved once or twice? I moved too. twice because 10 minutes after sitting in the theatre, um, so, like two people came and sat directly in front of me. And at this point, this is like a two or 300 seat theatre. There's like probably 40 people in there. And they come and sat directly in front of me. I'm thinking, what are you doing? So I moved a row back. And then 10 minutes later, another couple, like right in front of me, like, why are you, like, even just move just that way a little bit? It's fine. So I moved back. By that point, I was like almost right at the back of the cinema. <laughs> That's crazy, man. And then there's a guy up in the back corner coughing and sneezing, blowing his nose. I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, what is this? It felt very just dirty, and I was like, oh, gosh. So hopefully these ones this week um, are okay. They should be okay. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm looking forward to kind of get out and um, mingling within the the COVID-safe regulations. (laughs) So uh, we'll see how those ones go up. But, uh, but yeah, we're okay. We're doing okay. We're out of that lockdown for now, and things are sort of back to normal. At the moment, which is always lovely. 
Yeah, they sort of, sort of normal. Sort of normal. I mean, again, at least you can get out and about. And yeah, I was dodgy, it was it was looking dodgy for me. Um, when did I work yesterday? Yesterday, yesterday, yeah, yesterday the yeah. day after the lockdown. Yeah. yeah. So we had a five kilometer radius, and the studio I had to go to was about twenty five kilometers away. Yeah. So I was going to have to get permits and all that mm. sort of shit. Um, that wasn't going to be an issue. I mean, the, the studio was would have uh, would have organised one for me, but mm. you know. Didn't have it to worry about didn't it in the, end, in the end, which is good. Thankfully, so, yeah. thankfully, um, yeah, we um, we've been I haven't been watching that much. I mean, we always talk about kind of what stuff we've been watching recently. I don't know what's going on, but I've been sleeping in like it, almost every day this week. I've slept in and just not. Well, had you've time. been a little busy. I've had been, a couple of early, really early mornings. Yeah, too. I've had a few early mornings, and well, yeah, because I did that. I think that's what threw it off. I did a. Um, I did a, 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 a press junket on Saturday morning, which was like, what was that, 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. or something. Yeah. And that just kind of threw – I think that's just thrown out Threw-ed, the week yeah. because I like to get up early anyway. I'm always up. I wake up at 6.30 and whether I'm out of bed at, you know, 7 or 7.30 or whatever. But I think because I had, I got up at 5.30 and did this junket, it just, it just throws you out. It's just – it's one of those funny things. And then Thursday – no, was it Wednesday, Wednesday night – they dropped the trailer for Disney, Disney's Cruella. Yeah, that's right. And I thought, I want to get a jump on this. I knew, I, I thought it's not going to be something that's going to perform that well, but I had so much stuff to do yesterday that I was like, if I just, if I throw that into tomorrow as well, if I throw that into Thursday as well, it's just going to, yeah, I'm going to be buggered by the end of the day. Mm. And as it turned out, anyway, I was up to 3 a.m. doing that like trailer breakdown video. Didn't get up until well, I was up at 8, and then I did. Like three video, three cartoon news in the morning, and then I started working my next cartoon evolution video. So it's a jam-packed day. So if I had thrown that trailer reaction in into that yesterday, I would have been yeah, just exactly. done. I wouldn't have got half of the stuff done. Um, so that's all right. But I'm, I've been been running on um, low battery. I feel like this last week, so I haven't got too many like catalog titles in. But I did watch uh, this week again. Everyone's probably getting tired of me talking about Jean Claude Van Damme. I watched. I got one I in this week. His films. I got Universal Soldier: The Return in, which is Universal Soldier four, but technically Universal Soldier two, because they did the first one and then they did like two straight to VHS sequels without Jean Claude in them, oh, and then geez. they went and they did like the direct sequel to the first film, and obviously they couldn't take the name Universal Soldier two, so it was The Return. And there's two more after that, but apparently they're really bad. So I'm actually probably going to avoid them uh, because this one was pretty awful. There's not too many of these that I've watched and said, well, I watch them and you, you know if you've been listening that I think that these are some of the worst movies I've ever watched, but they're so fun. I just sit there and I'm laughing the whole time because it's oh, so yeah. outrageous. Shocking. So outrageously bad that they're enjoyable. But this one, it was just... There've been a couple where I've watched them. I've been like, "This is just so bad that I'm not even really having that much fun." No. And this one was one that sometimes it's going to be bad, but you enjoy. But enjoyable, it. yeah. And most of his films so far, I've found, I have been like that. There've been one or two that I actually thought were really good films. That were like the story was good, his acting was like reasonably good in them, and that was um, um, Nowhere to Run and well, Universe, the first Universal Soldier was really good as well. And I watched another one; I can't remember. Um, but I thought they were quite good. This one was like they took everything from the first one, they dialed up the action, they dialed up the explosions, There's like the cast is huge, and then it's one of those movies where they just go all out, and because they have, it just becomes so much dumber 
and just so much worse. And I'm sitting there like, this isn't even that funny. There's no, one, there's one no, scene, awful. though, he has like a face-off with Gold. Remember Goldberg from the WWF oh, yeah, 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 or whatever yeah. it's called now? Yeah. yeah. He was in it. Dude, I mean, you were a woman that had a tattoo of him on your on oh, leg, yeah. I think. That's right, yeah. Remember? I think so, yeah. They loved him. Um, and, yeah, they, so he faces off against Goldberg in the film, and that scene was quite funny. But the rest of it was pretty average. At least it was only an 80-minute film. That's the only movie I've been able to get in this week. Awful. That's the only one. So I haven't I feel, seen JCVD either. No, but apparently that's quite good. Can't believe that <laughs> you bought you bought that one. Yeah, I know. I bought I bought you it bought for, that one because oh, you thought it looks good. Terrible. I've heard it's quite good that one, oh, so well. I'm interested to see it. I'm interested to see that one. We've had that for ages too, haven't we? It's been sitting there for years. Yeah. Um. I wa- actually I watched a couple of I I got a couple in last weekend over the weekend because I'm not so like I'm I my t- my schedule's a little loose on the weekends. I try not to work on the weekends if I can, but usually I end up working for a few hours. But I usually More in the morning. Usually in the morning, I can justify sitting and watching something for a couple of hours. Um, I watched one called Children of a Lesser God, uh, which is an old, older film, probably from like the 80s maybe. Mm, yeah, probably. Um, yeah. With uh, William Hurt and Marley Matlin. Marley? Marley was that Marley Matlin? I'm not sure. I don't know. She's the, um, um, she's the deaf actress. She won an Academy Award for this film and she's terrific in it. And Hollywood didn't really give her um, anything else after the film, which is strange. Um, but it's one of those one of those films where I'm trying to pull it up here on IMDb. Um, it's one of those films where yeah, Marley Matlin, she's terrific in this. She was quite young; she was like early twenties, um, and this was 1986. You would know her. You would know her. She was in the West Wing for a bit. Was like oh yeah 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 yeah. I know. I know who it is. Yeah yeah. Uh, So she was. She's she's really good. She's playing a a deaf character in the film, and William Hurt is like a teacher who's teaching like the deaf the deaf school. She's working as a janitor at the school, and um, he wants to try and teach her how to read do the lip reading and stuff because she um, whatever's happened in her life has led her to the point where she doesn't want to learn the lip reading and, and stuff, and they. Have an affair and all this stuff. Wonderful movie, yeah, really wonderful movie. Film. Shock Entertainment here in Australia has just released that on Blu-ray. It's the world first Blu-ray of that. Oh, really? Yeah, um, terrific movie. I loved it, and she was terrific in that movie. Marley Matlin was incredible, and she won an Academy Award for that. This was her first first thing she'd ever done. And it's one of those things where Hollywood actually. It's one of those big things at the moment where people are really rallying. Um, for um, people with a disability, if, if you've got a character that has a disability, you mm. get a person that has a disability to play the yeah. character. And yeah. this is one of those earliest examples of a film in Hollywood where they actually cast, um, a, well, this, in this case, a deaf woman to play the deaf character. Yeah, yeah. She won an Academy Award for it and then for some reason never really got anything else after that. was like small bits and pieces on television. Yeah, I remember seeing you in little, in little bits, like as you said, West Wing. Yeah, she did the West did Little, little bits here West and Wing. there, but she never really... But, but I do remember that film and that I, it's been a long time well, since yeah. I've seen it. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is a really good film. Yeah, she, I, she was good. I thought it was wonderful. I also watched um, Reds, which is, again, probably, I'm guessing, was like 80s as well. Um, and it has uh, Warren Beatty and Diane Keaton, 1981. Jack Nicholson's in this. Don't know if I know that it's one. It's for three hours, and it's one of the most boring things I've ever watched. Yeah. So boring. 
While the IMDb logline is a radical American journalist becomes involved with the communist revolution in Russia and hopes to bring its spirit and idealism to the United States. It's like a true story. Um, I think there's something in there, but there's sometimes you don't have to push a movie that long. Yeah. Three hours and 15 minutes. And it's yeah. almost like in two parts. There's an intermission in the beginning. The first part is him, like, uh, essentially getting, um, you know, I guess indoctrinated into communist um, ideals and stuff. And then he, the guy published a book. And during the intermission of the film is when he writes the book and publishes it. And the second part picks up after he's published the book and is trying to bring these um, communism things into America. Right. Again, interesting story, and it's something I think truncated a little bit yeah. and make it like shorter. Three hours. I'm sitting there like, oh, my Lord. Like and Even half an hour into this, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long ride. There's not many things you can watch Long that ride. Long. So stay, you know, stuck Oh, yeah, with. exactly right. I don't mind like a three-hour epic as long as it's interesting, something like, you know, the Godfather well, or yeah, something Well, yeah, the Godfather, like I'll well, watch Avengers Endgame, stuff like uh, The Ten Commandments or Ben-Hur, like those big movies, I love them. I will sit yeah. there and I'll just watch them. Apocalypse Now is one we've yeah, watched exactly how many right. times? Oh, I don't know how many times. Hundreds of times. Yeah. Well, not hundreds of times, but, you know, quite, like dozens of times. times. Um, but if you don't have that pacing, you don't have that sort of something that hooks you and gets you interested, Why don't push your film to three and a half, uh, three mm. hours and 15. This is directed by Warren Beatty as well. This is his first directorial effort, so he was probably wanted to, he wanted to do something big and something grand. But anyway, I thought it was a bit boring. Really beautiful. It was um, The cinematographer on this was um, Vittorio Storaro, who was an Italian um, cinematographer who actually did Apocalypse Now, and his oh, cinematography okay. is gorgeous. And mm. like, the film looks great. It was really boring. Yeah. If you'd like to see the film, Shock Entertainment have just released it on, um, <laughs> on Blu-ray. Um, it's actually one I've had sitting in my collection for ages. I had this on DVD and just never watched it on DVD. It came out in Blu-ray here maybe 10 years ago. I picked the Blu-ray up. It's been sitting there for ages. And then now that Shock has re-released it, I thought this is the time where I'm finally going to sit and watch it. Yeah. And it was just like I know I've put it off for so long. Um, but if you're into that kind of thing, maybe, I don't know, maybe check it out. But I, I thought it was a little bit boring. Um, uh, we we watched um, Eastern Promises, which was the one with Vigo Mortensen. Oh yeah, yeah, awesome! It was good, so good. Yeah, it was like a crime. We watched a couple of good ones, haven't we? Yeah, we watched that one, and the same night we watched um, was it called Savage, which was oh, that film about yeah, the yeah, yeah. New Zealand gangs, which was really awesome that as was well. Right, really cool. So we watched this is like a crime, like gang crime thriller yeah. thing. Both really fantastic movies. Um, and not as good, as, not not as good as. Um, what was it called? Once were warriors. Once for no, warriors. it pulls its punches a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? It doesn't One, quite. Yeah, get Once War Warriors was one of the most brilliant Kiwi films yeah. I've ever seen. You, you, you just you know that it was going for it. It was like trying yeah. to get there, but you can't. It just pulled like short yeah. slightly. He's like it's pulling its punches, but it was yeah. still good. It was, really it was good. Really good film. Uh, so that one's oh, just really been released it. on Blu-ray by Madman Entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, and Eastern Promises has just come out from Umbrella Entertainment. Oh. Um, so I would definitely recommend both of those films, both really fantastic. Um, we watched a couple that were off, that, that weren't like releases from people here, like uh, distributors recent, here in Australia, yeah. recent things. Watched the Sapphires. Yeah. Is that Australian films? Been putting that off for a long time. Just one of those things, yeah. And just thinking, oh, it's yeah. just a musical. I hate musicals. Don't know if I can enjoy this. Yeah. I actually enjoyed it. I kept telling you, it's not like a traditional. It's not a traditional. Musical. No, exactly right. But it was actually, it was actually quite enjoyable. But I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm putting this on. I thought I'm putting it on. We've been, uh, we've been get, trying to get through some Australian films recently, and this is one that was just sitting there. And I thought, you, you know what? We're, gonna, we're just going to mm. watch it. 
really fantastic film. Yeah, which beautiful, was, beautifully shot. Oh, amazing! And and some of that outback scenery was yeah, gorgeous. gorgeous. So it's about a trio, not trio, no, there were four quartet. Four. four uh, pardon me, a quartet of um, indigenous uh, Aboriginal girls. Yeah, three, three were three sisters, sisters and, and one a, was a cousin. And a cousin, yeah, yeah. Um, Aboriginal girls, and they sort of recruited by this down and out of his luck. Um, uh, I guess showman sort bingo of thing. caller, yeah, basically. bingo caller, um, played by um, uh, Chris. What's his name? Chris O'Dowd. Yeah, um, and he sort of recruits them to really, come to. Really enjoyed him. In that he's film. amazing. I think yeah. he's great. I think he's like really uh, sort of underappreciated actor, um, and he's not in enough. I don't think he's in enough. Um, but he was fantastic in that, and um, I think he's probably fairly niche though. I think so, yeah. He's one of those guys that just kind of pops up in little bits yeah, and pieces. Yeah. Like he was in that IT crowd. I didn't yep. like that show, but I liked him in it. Mm. It's one of those things, just one of those actors. Um, and so he, he rounds up these girls and says, come to Vietnam with me. This is during the Vietnam War. He says, come to Vietnam with me and we'll put on like shows, do that, like the touring thing where they have like the, uh, <clears throat> the variety show thing for the for troops. the military, yeah. Um, and yeah, just really wonderful. And it, uh, the cast was great too. Deborah Mailman. Australian yeah, legend. She's, she's, she's great. Everything um, she does. Jessica Mowboy, her voice is yeah. just incredible. I yeah. don't think I've ever re- really focused on just her performance her in the in the past. She's incredible. Um, and, and it really showed. Well, there was a couple of the other girls were singing. Oh, yeah. And then she took over night, and was night like, and day. my God. Night and day. <laughs> um, and Miranda Tapsell was in it too, who is really wonderful. We watched another film with her in it recently, Top End Wedding, yeah. which I really enjoyed as well. Yep. Um, so that was a great film and one that I've heard for years and years. This is so good and we finally watched it. I really loved that. Um, a couple that I watched last week, I didn't talk about these on the pod last. I haven't really had much time to talk about this stuff for the last few weeks, so I've had guests on. Uh, but I watched Coneheads. Oh, why? <laughs> well, because I had it. I, <laughs> I bought it for $4 from JB, so it's, I bought it. So and then it was sitting there, and it's like 70 minutes long. And it was one of those mornings where I woke up late and I was like, okay, I've got enough time for a 70-minute film or 75 minutes. It's really bad. It's about 73 minutes too long. Yeah, it's, it's really bad, but it's actually enjoyable. It's got a really good cast. Dan Aykroyd's in there. And then it's got, like, um, guest appearances from, like, Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and, um, like, like um, what's his name? Um, David Spade is in there. Just, like, a whole bunch of these, like, comedian guys just keep popping up and it's kind of like I, I must have watched it when I was a kid I didn't remember any of it though but it's really bad but it's one of those things that's quite funny quite enjoyable at the end of the day what's it going on IMDB 5.3 that's why we have the nothing less nothing less than yeah. <laughs> we have we have a rule when we go mm. and buy films and stuff yeah, yeah. we sort of get onto IMDB and have a look yeah. at the ratings anything below 6, six. we think we don't oh. often pick up yeah but we grab the occasional one the occasional one's been good yeah we're really selective anyway. Yeah. Under six. I don't know why we bought We probably bought it before we even... Coneheads? I just bought it because it's Coneheads. Oh, okay. It's Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> and it's $4. It was like $4. I was like, I'm just going to buy it. I think it was on Amazon. They did like a fire sale thing. I was like, I'm just going to get it for $4. $3.95 too much? It's all right. <laughs> it was all right. It passed my, passed my morning with something a little bit short. Um, and I also watched Rollerball. Oh. Um, which is James Kahn. It's a bit tragic, that. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't oh. really like it. Um, I watched Thief with James Kahn. It could have been like, actually a really good film. Yeah. But I thought I thought the pacing on it was... Yeah, terrible. Really Questionable. Slow. Yeah, it's weird because I watched Thief a few weeks before that, which is a James Kahn film. I've been raving about mm-hmm. it since then. Awesome movie. Yeah. 
um, Michael Mann, director Michael Mann's first film. Incredible. Um, and I watched that. I loved it. I was like, I'm feeling in a James Caan mood. I've got Rollerball here as well, which has been sitting there with Thief for ages. They brought them both out together sort of at the same time. So I was like, I'm going to watch Rollerball now. The scenes where, which is like actually the Rollerball game, it's like this like high st- like it's set in the dystopian future um, and the game is like, I can't even explain the game. They're on like roller skates going around like the circuit. What's the circuit called? Like the, um, I don't know. But they, an arena. Just like, like an arena, but it's like a circuit sort yeah. of thing. Um, and then it's like there's a ball, so there's like a ball, and you're on roll. I don't know, but it's full contact. It's, it's full, full contact, yeah, it's and like, like it's people like, um, die. And they used to have. Um, I'm not sure whether it was actually a real sport or whether it was oh. just a TV sport. A roller, um, roller derby. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of like roller derby with a ball, but people like get killed and yeah, stuff, and right. like there's people breaking arms and like people die in every game, and like those scenes are fun. Really fun, yeah. and then in between it all is like this really political film. thing where the where the people who are like in the film everything is owned by corporations, yep. and the corporation is trying to get this guy James Khan's character, who's like the like the face of the sport. They're trying to kick him out of the sport because of like political reasons, whatever. And the whole film is about them trying to get him out of the game by forcing him into a retirement, and he like fights back. And then goes to all these places to try and like find out what's going on, the conspiracy and stuff. That's boring. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is so boring. But the actual rollerball scenes are really quite fun. But then yeah. the re- and it's like another one of those films, it's like two and a half hours long. It's like, no, man, just cut just it back a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he's great in it. But James I haven't Khan. seen that for, oh, no. yeah. how old is it? Oh, 80 something at least. Um, or maybe 70s. I reckon it might have been 70s. Let's have a look. 75. Yeah. yeah. It was just. I think it's one of those films that's maybe a little bit ahead of its time, like in the way that it's addressing the politics and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's a movie that hasn't held up, has no, not held not up a, at all, not at all. Um, so yeah, that was that one. Uh, we've watched a couple of like fairly recent releases. Uh, News of the World, we watched, enjoyed that, which has just gone. On Net- I've been waiting for months for this to hit Netflix. Yeah, that's right. Because. Netflix picked this up for international distribution and then never said when they were going to drop it on the service. I thought it was going to go up in December, which was when it released overseas, but it wasn't there. And I'm just waiting and waiting to hear Netflix has dropped this film. I put, like, the reminder in the app, like, like let me know when this film's live. And then I find out, like, last week, oh, it's, been, it's been up for, like, two or three weeks already. I'm like, what the hell did I not know this? So I finally watched it. I really enjoyed it. Tom Hanks' first, yeah, was uh, first Western film. And the young girl, the young girl, young girl was, good was very good. Was, that her, fir- was that her first? I'm not sure. I think so. I think it's well, at least maybe her first like major thing. She's up for all kinds of awards at the moment, um, and she's kind of like um, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Really great, just yeah. really fantastic performance. And she's only and she's only about a, what? Yeah, she, she's 13, very young, 11 thirteen or, 12 or something. Yeah. I think Haley Steinfeld was 15, maybe, in True Grit. Um, so it's a similar kind of um, performance, but really fantastic performance. She deserves any kind of award she's gone up again, uh, up for. Uh, like she's nominated for a Golden yeah, Globe. She's, there you only, go. she's only 13 yeah. this, really June, fa- June this year. Really fantastic she performance. She was really, really good. Everyone in that was great. Tom Hanks is the first time he's playing a cow, uh, uh, like a cowboy other than Woody. It would have been funny for him to come out with a woody yeah. voice that, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I feel like it's the kind of Western you would expect from Tom Hanks. It's not like a traditional shoot 'em up Western. It's like a really esoteric, sort of um, yeah. existential, sort of gritty Western piece, character yeah. driven. Yeah. 
totally yeah. character driven. It was very, very good. Very, very good. So we watched that one. Um, and he's a, there are a couple of other older ones. We watched the John Wick films, one, two, and three, finally. They were enjoyable. Uh, which were quite fun. Quite, quite watched, like them. watched them over a couple of nights. I think we watched one, the first one once before. Yeah, ages ago, years ago. When years it first ago. Came out, yeah. I didn't remember. Didn't any, me either. Didn't remember any of it. No, I usually, re- I usually remember at least a little bit of things, but no, I didn't remember any I'll of it. I watched something two days later, it's gone. Oh, yeah, I know. Got too much shit in that yeah. tiny little mind of mine. Yeah, I know. Got to push something out to put something in. Yeah. But they were fun. I spoke about them a little bit last week. We had fun with those. Um, oh, and this is something I've been meaning to do for two weeks now. <clears throat> I want to do this at the end of every month or at the beginning of every month. Of course, <clears throat> I'm on Letterboxd. You can find me over on Letterboxd at Dave Lee Down Under. I think minus the, um, minus the, we call it, the um, Val? AE, vows. Yeah, minus <laughs> the vows in the Down Under part. So it's Dave Lee, like doing under or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can find me over there on Letterboxd. I log everything that I watch on there. Um, I find it, I think it's fun. Um, because people get to see what I'm watching and get to, like, I do small reviews on everything. I give them a star rating. I don't write, like, a small paragraph, if that, on everything that I'm watching. And people can see what I'm watching and keep up to date with all that. Um, because I just watch so much crap that, and half of it I don't really talk about. So you can go on there, you can see what I'm doing. And what I really love about it, I've paid for the, um, like, the the pro membership it was only like $20 or something and you get all these like statistics and stuff as you're watching it I think it's quite a fun way to watch films it tells you like um, how many movies you've watched and how many like it breaks down like your most watched actors and all this kind of stuff if you're just a regular member you'll get like a yearly roundup email that tells you your most watched actors your films whatever that Um, but if you're like a paying member you can access that all year and just kind of just see how your viewing habits are and it even like breaks it down to like um uh, stuff like um, the countries that the movies have come from that you're watching, uh, what percentage of movies are, um, you, you know, foreign films or English language films. or it, There's all these, like, charts and just crazy stuff that I haven't really delved into yet. But what I thought I would do at the beginning of every single month is kind of give, like, a roundup of how we're going viewing-wise for the year, right? So as of the end of January, I watched 59 films in Jan, hmm. one of 60. Um, so well, there's an average of what, 100 and, about 120 hours of your life gone? Or something like that, yeah. So 59 films in Jan. <laughs> um, so far, my top watched actor, you would guess <laughs> it is, of course, of course, Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> and I think I've watched maybe two or three of his films since then. Uh, but as of January, I watched three of his films. Um, and then some random guy called Wayne Grace. I mean, I recognise him. He's one of those guys that just pops up in things. So he's lo- he's been logged in three I'm movies. Let's have a look and see who so this is. Wayne Gra- Wayne Grace um, is um, is tie with Jean Claude as of the end of January. Uh, but I think um, I think again, I've watched a few since then. So I think Jean Claude's in the running. We'll see. Um, so in the lead, and then we've got like a bunch of actors on two movies: Clint Eastwood, Nick Cage, Ed Harris, Andy Garcia, Meg Ryan, Gary Oldman, uh, Tom Cruise, Christopher Walken, Chevy Chase, Donald Sutherland, and like heaps of others. Um, we're all on like two movies. Um, and then my most watched directors of the year: Clint Eastwood, Ron Howard, and Ridley Scott, all on three. So that's the January roundup. And like I said, I want to do this at like the beginning of every single month. But because I've had guests and stuff on it, I haven't really spoken about it. But there we go. So in a couple of weeks' time, we'll give a roundup on February and we'll see how we're going. Will Jean-Claude take out number one spot again? Oh, probably. Spoiler, probably, you yeah. Gotta, you've got to find gotta find a couple more of his films, <laughs> don't you? I've got heaps down there. Oh. I've got about six sitting down there waiting to be watched. I'm so excited. You watch one, you watch them all with him. Well, yeah, exactly, but I'm enjoying them, so... 
Let me enjoy things. That's a bit like Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, Watch exactly one Tom right. Cruise film. Just brain dead. It's just, just Tom Cruise being that Tom Cruise. That one you liked, um, Jason Statham. It's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, exactly. Crap. But they're enjoyable. Crap movies, but they're fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, Television-wise, we've been watching uh, – we started watching up TV again because we've been watching a lot of movies and stuff. Finally in that, we're like, all right, let's get back into the television stuff. We watched Ted Lasso. Mm. The first season of it. Ted was good. Smash that in two nights. Two nights, yeah. Such a, that is one of the best things I've seen for a yeah. long time. Terrific yeah. program. Yeah. Got a, it's got a really good really good feel about it. Yeah, it? just like, it's, like uplifting um, and, uh, yeah. and happy and innocent yeah. and just – it's comedic. It's yeah. uh, there's a bit of drama, drama in it, and everything. Bit of romance, yeah. Got all of, of that stuff. Of, they say the each good film or whatever's got to have yeah. romance, romance, yeah. drama, comedy, yeah, comedy, everything. It's like everything a mix. It. It's so good. Yeah. The cast is fantastic in it. Yeah, um, of course, is, who right? Is it? Is he one of yeah, those? Yeah, I think so. Jason Sudeikis is Taylor. Yeah. So. Um, Pun imagine has a little sip of water there. Um, he is a uh, American football coach, um, who is brought over to England to coach a or to manage a football, to, uh, an English football soccer team. Um, and he's terrible. He's like they, they, the woman that, who who owns the the team has hired him essentially to run the business into the ground. Because and he knows, her, yeah, and he knows nothing about he knows nothing, nothing about, about American football, bad English, English football. football, European football. Yeah. Um, it's just so good. It's just like a really innocent uh, show. The character is fantastic. And, yeah, I think Jason Sudeikis um, at least um, created the concept of it. I'm not sure if he wrote the episodes, but he did the concept and um, and all that stuff. I, just, I loved it. I thought it was so good. And we smashed it out really quickly, and it's just leaving me wanting more. Yeah. Uh, there's two more seasons on the way, and I just uh, I can't wait. So that that's was, been was really good. highly recommended. That's on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, people have been saying to me for a few weeks now, have you watched Ted Lasso? Not yet, not yet, I'll get to it. I'm so happy. Like 8.7 on IMDb, how good yeah. is that? Like that's fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that one. And uh, we just started, uh, well, we were like probably five or six episodes in. Um, what, what's it called over there? It's called morning, The Morning Show. Uh, yeah, the morning show, but yeah. here is called Morning Wars. Morning Wars, that's right. Because we do actually have... A morning, morning show, show here, yeah. on television in the morning. So there's obviously some sort of IP clash there. Probably. Um, or maybe they just changed it so that people didn't get confused. Um, but, yeah, so the morning show, that's the one with Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and um, uh, Michael Scott. What's his name? Steve Carell. <laughs> <Michael> <laughs> Steve Carell. It's yeah. really hard sometimes to watch him giving a dramatic performance. Well, I'm watching that thing because we're, what, five episodes in? Five or six shows in, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm watching that, expecting Michael Scott to yeah. do something dumb and stupid. Well, there's been a couple that. of bits where you kind of like, oh, that's Michael Scott. Like exactly, where he's sitting exactly in the car, right. he's like, wow, no. And you're like, oh, gosh. He's just, I love him. He's fantastic. And his dramatic performance is really fantastic. Because like, that movie did Foxcatcher. Loved that was it. Great. So good. Yeah. Um, but you just can't, he's unfortunately one of those people where you just can't yeah. help but see the character well, that they're known for. It's the same with um, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, well, yeah, you, see you're Rachel. You're just waiting for Rachel to yeah. come out. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's that, just bizarre. It's going to be a tough thing for him to kind of get away from Get away that from that, thing. yeah. But they're both really good in They're that. really terrific. It's quite a good the show dramatic, so far. Dramatic, dramatic stuff's really yeah. good, been really good. It's uh, like gripping. It's like, it's like thrilling. You don't know quite what's going to happen next. Um, it's like a lot deeper than you expect it to be. It yeah, sort of yeah. goes down this little rabbit hole. Yeah, that was quite fun, quite enjoyable. Mm. That's been on Apple TV Plus for ages. So we'll that was probably one of the, punch a couple more. Oh, maybe not tonight. Not tonight. It's Friday night tonight. Um, so we'll I have got one division. One division tonight, which I'll have to watch about seven o'clock and then be up until 
who knows one hour doing a video on that. Um, so because obviously we record the podcast on a Friday, even though this goes out on Saturday and Monday. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's about it for the television this week. Actually, I checked out uh, Solar Opposites for Disney Plus, um, which is um, this animated program uh, which was uh, created by Justin Roiland, um, who also did Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a show that's being done for Hulu. It opened. It started on Hulu in America six months ago, maybe a bit longer ago. Uh, but it's launching here in Australia as part of Star Disney Plus Star. Um, so it's going to be. It's like a separate section on Disney Plus with the more adult content. Uh, this show is really out there, like really edgy and swear words left, right, and centre. The violence is crazy on it. It's an animated thing. Yeah. There's violence. There's blood. There's everything. There's these like two aliens, like bit um, like Archer. Well, yeah, sort of that kind yeah. of really edgy sort yeah. of animated thing. What you'd imagine from the Rick and Morty guy. Um, and so so Disney, it's interesting because Disney is really um, advertising this, I guess, as a Disney property because Disney, of course, owns Hulu, the majority share of Hulu, like 90-something yep. percent. Um, so it is made for the Disney company. Um, and it's now being it's one of like the um, one of the the programs that they're using to advertise Disney Plus Star to come in. So it's really being advertised as kind of a Disney property, which is really weird for something like this. I got a chance to speak with Justin Roiland as well as uh, two of the stars from the show, Thomas Middleditch and Sean Giambrone. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, Jambron. Um, Better than I could have done anyway. I'm not sure. Um, but I got to speak to them over the weekend. Unfortunately, it was another one of those ones, which was like the, it was a press thing uh, where I'm not allowed to release the audio or the video. So I'm going to give you a little quote here. I thought this was quite an interesting interaction. I spoke to Justin Roiland and I kind of just asked him about what it was like to produce something like this, something so edgy and so out there and violent and sweary or, you know, cuss, did you say in America, cuss words, cursing. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of asked him what his thoughts, well, producing something like that for Disney or something that's being advertised mm-hmm. now as a Disney program. And he said must to be, me... It must be odd, doing something for Disney, but it's... Yeah, but it's not yeah. Disney. Yeah. So oh. he said to me, I've got a bit of, I've got a quote here. I'm allowed to publish quotes, but I couldn't release the audio. So his quote was, I, that was my question to him. He said, wow, that's crazy. So I found out about this like five days ago, I think. We made the show originally for Fox here in the States, then they passed, and then we took it to a few networks, and Hulu was really, really into it. They really wanted to do it, so we went with Hulu, and so we've been making a show for Hulu. At some point between making season one and two, this giant Disney purchase happened, where Disney bought 20th and all the stuff that comes with it, including Hulu. So this is New Man, us being part of Disney Star. The fact that you're telling me it's actually the fact that you're telling me it's actually hitting me in a different way. Just hearing you say that, it's like, oh wow! So it's being marketed as a Disney show. I'm like, wow! So yeah, this is under the Disney umbrella. I will say we're just going to continue making the show the way we made it before, and so far it's the same process. Like we're still able to do the same kind of content. I haven't yet seen if this is going to have any impact on how insane we're able to be on the show, but I don't think it will. I think that Disney Star is a very separate thing. It's also going to have a bunch of other content that's maybe a bit edgier or different than what you would see on the other sections of Disney, but I guess it's kind of cool. I mean, being that uh, being that the show is so edgy and so crazy, it's kind of neat. But like you said, that, that, that Disney, 
he's embracing that is really cool of them to to do. I think it's smart of them actually. But yeah, it's weird. You know, uh, it's the it's weird the way you pitched. Oh, sorry, it's weird. You know, you've pitched it in a way to me that I never thought. Mm. So I thought it was a quite interesting little collaboration. Yeah. Uh, sort of sorry interaction there. Um, it's, of course, the co-creator of uh, Solar Opposites, uh, Justin Royland. And the thing I really like about doing interviews is I just love speaking to creative people and I get a real buzz out of speaking to someone who's created something and whether that's created a film or a TV show or created a character within a film or a TV show. And if you see my interviews, I'm always just really keen about their process um, I, I don't care about all the auxiliary stuff, the external stuff, which, oh, how is it like to do that? How is it like to work with this person? Or how's it? I always like to kind of get in. This, like this, in some cases, this is probably the only chance I'm going to get to speak to these people, and it's like i got five minutes with them. I just want to know about their process, you know? And I always like it when there's this little spark where you say something to them where they it changes their perception of their work or what they're doing or they have like this strange little epiphany. Um, and to, to hear him say, oh, wow, the way you've said it to me now is just I've never thought about it that way before. And that's what I really love about being able mm. to speak to these people because you can have some sort of yeah. – um, in such such a minuscule way, you can have some sort of impact. Yeah. Not so much on their work but, you know, in their in their process, the yeah. way that they, yeah. they, they think or whatever. And, stuff, yeah. um, and there's been a couple of things where I've spoken to a couple of people where – you you see in there and they say, oh, wow, you know, I've never thought of it that way or thank you for saying that or, you know, and that's I think at the end of the day um, that's the thing I love about about doing that uh, about most of all. So Disney Plus Star launches uh, this Tuesday, so tomorrow, the day after this podcast goes out, the 23rd of Feb, um, and that's here in Australia and across Europe and it's going to Latin America, but I'm not sure if it's launching in Latin America this month. Uh, I think it might be a little bit later, but I'm not too sure on that. Uh, so, yeah, check out Disney Plus Star. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that. We did a show like three weeks ago where we broke down a bunch of stuff that's going to be on it, movies, TV yeah, shows, right. a lot of stuff from ABC, Touchstone, Hulu, all that. Um, so really, really, really good. I enjoyed that. It was a really great little interview there. Unfortunately, I couldn't release it, but there's the quote. Um, do we do a... Oh, no. Didn't give you a chance. <laughs> I didn't even give you a chance to pick up the, the hat. Doesn't it's a, matter. It's the Deadwood update. Nothing to see. Nothing here. at Move all. Move on. Move along. Move we on. haven't done Let's another go. one. Move yeah, on. we've given up. I think at this point. <laughs> um, we have been watching One Division though. A few weeks ago, I had you on. I asked you what you think about One Division. This was after like three yeah, episodes yeah. where the show was a little bit weird. They yeah. were doing the sitcomy thing, and it was just a bit different. A lot of people were on the fence about, well, what's this show? Now that we're up to episode six, how are you feeling about it? Uh, more connected. More connected now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now that now that uh, it's moved on a bit, mm. it was sort of hard to figure out what they were doing with yeah. it, the fir- those first two yeah. or three episodes, mm-hmm. and then it got to what episode four or something, yeah, four, and then things started to happen, and you think, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And the last couple of episodes have been really quite good. Yeah, well, it's getting so I'm more, looking forward to the night's it's one. It's getting more like Marvel, Marvelly. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was just, it was just a bit. The way they started, and I, and now, now you look back. You can understand why they did it yeah. the way they did it. Yeah. Um, but but seeing one episode a week made yeah. that hard for yeah, me to yeah. watch. And, yeah, and I, I got to a point where I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if I can stick with this. It's yeah. just Well, it's funny because I've seen a lot of people say the same thing where you see people in comments on Twitter or whatever where they're saying, 
I dropped out after two episodes. Should I get back into it? They're saying all these people like talking about the crazy stuff that's been going on the show. And like, oh my, like I need to get back into this. And it's funny because I read an article that said the views on the show have skyrocketed since like episode four or five. Yeah, once it's broken away from that. that. Apparently, it debuted quite soft. Not didn't fail. It didn't like like low views. It debuted quite soft. Apparently, so Could, I can imagine. You can, that. you can you can get it. But yeah. now that word has got out, or oh, this show's actually moving towards a more familiar territory, yeah. more marvelly. Uh, more people are into it, and I think, well, like yourself, more connected. Mm. And those um, first couple of episodes, they were only, what, 22 yeah, or 23 like minutes or something? Shows, yeah, And that was purely because that's that was the length of the yeah, yeah. sitcom, sitcom back, back in yeah. you know, 50s, 60s, 70s or whatever. Yeah. Um, but now they're, what, are they 40 minutes or something? It's like pushing 40. I they're think 40 tonight's minutes? one's supposed to be like 50 minutes or something. Oh, great. Well, the last three shows are supposed to be like an hour long, so I'm guessing mm. probably about 50 minutes mm. with the credits and all that stuff. But, yeah, you um, can sort of um, – I can understand why people dropped off it. Yeah, I get, I get it because I got to a point it's, where it's like. But then yeah. I just I thought to myself, no, I just it. put trust in what they're doing because yeah. they haven't let us down. Mm-hmm. The, the, all the Marvel stuff yeah. has never let us down. No, exactly right. Uh, well, well, like Nick Cage, maybe Nick Cage. That's, not Nick Cage was called um, um, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. What the Netflix stuff? Yeah, yeah, but that wasn't them. That was net, that was Marvel. Yeah, that's true. Entertainment. That but was it, Marvel TV. But it was still part of the whole Marvel universe. Well, they tried. They tried to, but it wasn't. It was. It, they tried to say it was connected, but it wasn't. Yeah. So the, you had you had these two divisions at the company that were warring against one another, and this company that was doing the television stuff really wanted to jump in on what the the like Kevin Feige and yeah, the yeah, Marvel yeah. Studios was doing, and they were really trying to. Because that legally they could connect it, they mm. were trying to do that, but then they couldn't name drop like Thor or Captain America or anything. It was yeah. always like, yeah. or Hulk. It was always like, oh, the, the guy with the, the big green guy or the guy with the hammer sort of mm. thing. They could never directly reference the characters. Um, but but, yeah. but most of those, most most of those, were good the first season or yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. But then, then they just off. become yeah, like Daredevil, trash. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. Yeah, exactly and right. I I think you stopped watching. I don't know if you even watched Defenders. Did you watch Defenders? No, I didn't say Defenders. Um, and I think Jessica Jones, mine might have dropped off that too. We did one season. We did the first season of each of them, and including Iron Fist as well, which one was awful. Um, not awful. Daredevil, it wasn't great. Daredevil, Daredevil did Daredevil, three we watched, seasons. We watched, we watched two. That. We only watched two, did yeah, we? Yeah, we watched the first two. We haven't watched Daredevil season three, Jessica Jones season two, Luke Cage season two. I don't know if they did a second Iron Fist, but then they did a Punisher spinoff from Daredevil. Didn't watch any of them. Mm. I got through Defenders by myself only because I was like, I have to see like the, like the Avengers type team up, yep. and that was a real slog yeah. to get through. I didn't like it. Um, we kind of dropped off since then. But yeah, but at the end of the day, I, I just thought you know, I just got to put trust in yeah in what Marvel in the system, yeah. and they haven't let us down. They're going in an interesting direction, that's for sure. Yeah. I'll be doing a a um episode sort of ending explained for this episode. I've been a little bit slack with my WandaVision coverage, but last week I started, I did my first ending explained. Um, I'm going to do another one well tonight, but by the time you listen to this, it's probably already up. It's definitely already up. Um, so you can listen to that, and I'll be covering the Marvel shows week by week from now on. Mm. Um, so I'm getting into it. Should do a um, should do something for the last episode. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about doing like a, I don't know whether I do like a round, like a, Roundup show on the podcast here, or just do like a live stream or something. I'm not too sure. I'm gonna sort that out. But mm. I do want to have like a thing where I get to talk about it because I haven't really been covering it in depth, and I'm a bit weary here on the podcast talking spoilers and stuff. Yeah, because exactly I know a lot right. of people yeah, yeah, yeah. are either waiting for it all or just yep. haven't got to the latest episode. Yep. So I'm very weary about spoilers for really anything that we talk about. Yeah. 
Um, I'm gonna so maybe a live stream or something like that might be. Yeah, I think so. Probably we'll see. It's a couple of weeks. There's three yeah, shows left. Have to give it some thought. Mm-hmm. I'm excited Try about working out timing and all that sort of stuff. With it. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> with all that out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> I did warn you it's going to get a bit fiery today. Oh, here we go. Okay, so we're going to spin off the back of One Division here. Um, people have been really complaining about it, though. Now, what you were saying, you felt a little bit disconnected from it, um, and a lot of people been saying they don't they don't like. Even coming now into like where the show's really ramping up, it's really exciting and it's action packed and it's like there's something to think about every week. People aren't liking the pacing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, people have been complaining. Is it the pacing of the show itself or pacing there's, of? There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things and people are complaining about things. I think at this point, for the sake of complaining about things, um, there's people complaining that the show has a slow pacing. But then I've also heard people complaining that it's moving too fast, so they're mm-hmm. doing six episodes instead of maybe 12. So some people are saying it's just like moving like too fast and then the episode ends like abruptly, right? So you've got like this 30-minute show and then it just ends abruptly. I can get that. And then you jump back into the next week. I think some of these are fairly um, reasonable um, arguments. Valid, 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 arguments valid, yeah. valid, valid arguments and um, criticisms, right? That's fine. Um, but then there's people that are coming out and saying that having the show – as a weekly show, is something they really don't like. And they'd prefer it all at once. They just want to give it all to me at once, Mm. which is where the line starts to, for me personally, the line starts to blur a little bit. Um, I've the The thing here is I have seen more conversation surrounding this program than any other television show for the last 10 years maybe up to close to 20 years mm. because of the way that they have paced this show out as a weekly thing. You don't get it all at once. You get a little bit at a time. You get this little bit here. You get this little bit here. You get this little bit here. And like yeah. week by week, you're just thinking, oh, what's going to happen this week? You can't wait. Wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh, three days left to WandaVision. You know, can I wake up in the morning? Yes, WandaVision tonight. You know, I'm excited to see what's going to happen next. Like if you think back... The big, like, cultural moments in television. Who shot JR back on? No, exactly right. What was that on? Um, uh, Dynasty? Dynasty. Dynasty. Right? Who shot JR? The, like, the main character of the show got shot, like, at the end of a season. Mm. And then people had to wait for a year to find out how, who shot JR. Um, who's the father of Rachel's baby and friends? That was, like, a, yeah. that was like a thing they dragged out over, like, three or four shows. Yeah. yeah. Who, who, who was the father of Rachel's baby? Um, uh, you've got stuff like um, um, there's an episode of uh, The West Wing where the series ends where there's a sniper on the building That's right. and the episode ends with this title saying, who's been shot? Mm. So you had to wait a year to find out who got like shot by yep. the sniper, right? Um, these are like big cultural conversations that you don't really tend to have anymore. I mean, you've got cliffhangers at the end of seasons, but like from episode to episode kind of things, you don't get that anymore because everyone gets everything all, all at, at once. And you might have only watched two episodes of a show, but your mate down the road has sat and binged the entire six to 12 episodes over a night or over a weekend, yeah. right? And you're kind of behind a little bit. But back then, and now what we're seeing with WandaVision again is that there is this cultural conversation where everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. is up to date. Everyone is talking about what is happening. 
right? What's going to happen next week? What's this? Theories. Um, people trying to dig up spoilers and, and leaks and stuff like that. And um, people just like, oh, you're just going out of their mind. This is the most talked about show on the internet right now. And it is the most watched program on any platform right is now really? at this moment. Yeah. yeah. Because everyone's just everyone's getting in talking on this. about it. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's exciting well, about that, this. That sort of tells you that them releasing one episode a week is working. Exactly right. Now, the, the, And that's one thing I used to enjoy about a lot of the stuff that I watched years ago. Mm. Was yeah, you know, like you'd want, you'd be thinking week week to week yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. Or you'd you know you'd watch something on say a Tuesday night and you'd go to work on the Wednesday morning and you yep. there were half a dozen other people that were watching yeah. it and you'd sort of stand around the, the water the, cooler, the water cooler yeah. and yeah. you're down the corridor. And well, I am in multiple group chats on like Twitter and whatever else. I'm in one um, with a couple of my friends. I'm in one with a couple of well a, a group of like YouTubers. Yep. And I mean, another one with my cousins, mm-hmm. Cass and Rob. Yeah. And these chats are always going off. I'm constantly looking. I reckon if I look at my phone now, I've probably got, yeah, I've got, I've got Twitters going off because people <laughs> are chatting and it's like almost constant. It's almost like 24 hours people and I'm just constantly getting like, oh, theories and oh, what's going to happen here? Oh, I'm excited to do my review. I'm, um, oh, this is what I think is going to happen. Oh, I've just seen this article. Look at this. Oh, this interview with Paul Bettany, who's given like a really cryptic clue about some actor that's going to uh, be on the show. And it's this conversation that I, I haven't seen for a long time. I wake up in the morning, I've got 100 plus notifications geez. from this YouTuber group chat that I'm in with a bunch of people from the States. And there's a couple of people in there, I think, from London as well, um, from all around. And there's just constant chatter going on. Because we're from all parts of the globe, there's always something going yeah, on in that, in that yeah. chat. And like I said, I woke up this morning, it's over 100 chats Jeez. in this group. And most of it, 90% of it, is about WandaVision and just people chatting theories and stuff. And I haven't seen this for a long time. The only thing I can think, I've told this story before, when Smallville was on and I was a kid, you'd watch it in the evening, I'd ring up, I'd get on the phone, I'd ring up my mate Lockie right. and I'd be like, oh, how good was it? This happened. What's going to happen next year? Oh, so what's going to happen next week on the show? Um, and then we'd be like, oh, there's hints, you know, Lex Luthor, because he starts as Clark's friend in the show. Oh, he's going to turn evil next episode. Like I'm talking season one, we're like, oh, he's, oh Lex is finally going to go evil next episode. It's yeah, finally going to happen. Season four, like season four or something. <laughs> he finally turned evil. But you're waiting and you're waiting for these things to happen. It's just such an exciting way to get into, a, into any yeah. kind of media. It's just the cultural conversation that is happening over this thing. You don't get that on shows mm. that go on mm. on streamers. Yeah, Stranger right. Things and stuff like that. There's big conversations yeah. around it. It dies off after a week. It's up and it's watched and it's yeah. gone. There's no theorising. There are, there are some no... things I enjoy watching that way. Oh, well, yeah, of course. I'm gonna, I was going to say that. That's fine. Binge watching is fine. We binged Ted Lasso this week. Yeah. And that's an example where we binged it in two days and at the end of it I was like, oh, I wish I had more of that to watch. Yep, exactly. Right? Um, but I think there are, you can make an argument that binge watching, totally fine. But there are certain programs that are built specifically to be watched in this format, right? Yeah. And yeah, this yeah. is one of those shows. Yeah. Because week by week yeah. you've got something going on that there's something to theorise about. There's a, there's a revelation every episode, and then there's a cliffhanger. And then the next episode you get the payoff, but then you get another cliffhanger at the end of that, which opens up something even bigger and bigger each episode as you go along, right? Um, I, th- this was an interesting post posted by IndieWire, which is one of those like film sort of uh, review-y website kind of things. The guy on here writes, 
After six episodes, WandaVision still feels far too much like an inflated feature film that just keeps dragging out its story via inconvenient weekly installments. <laughs> Everyone just railed on this post, right? And it just makes me think like inconvenient weekly installments. This is how television has worked for 70 years. Yeah, Maybe the 60 right. years yep. before binge watching Netflix, all that kind of stuff. And like I, like I said, I love to like certain shows. You just you binge watch them. It's fun. It's exciting. But the big cultural shows like this, you got to watch week by week. I think anyway. But I think like they're not stupid. They're not stupid. No way. I mean Disney and Marvel. They're, no. not, they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. They know why. No, they've exactly done it. right. And they knew, exactly right. They knew that, that, that this was going to happen. You, you can't, can't tell me they every didn't week. Know. People are uploading a video yeah. every single week. And what's going to happen when they when they drop the next? Yeah. What's, what's the next? Falcon and the Winter Soldier. When they do that, one week later, same thing is going to happen. One week after that, Loki. Yeah. Same thing. You're going to be talking about Marvel yeah. every single yeah. week. You know how many people? And are what's going to happen is if those if those series start off the way Wandavision do, people will stick with it because I think okay, they're going to be a pay off yeah exactly right um the inconvenient weekly installments are what really got me now maybe i'm starting to show my age here i'm turning 30 this year so it's at the point where i'm starting to feel like all right things are ch- the world's changed yeah i'm at that point where i'm the grumpy old man who's uh, come back and going things have changed since mm. i was a kid but tv has worked this well, way well your generation your generation mm. is known for being the now generation yeah you want it you want everything now yeah and you don't want to have to wait mm. for it. And you don't have to don't want to have to work yeah. for it. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with technology, how it's evolved, how we've got streaming and stuff. Exactly right. And this binge model, as fine as it is for certain shows, um, has really been to the detriment of the way people view content, yeah, or the way people view shows or movies or whatever. Yeah. It's watch it now. It's consumed. It's now you don't think about it. Consume something else. Consume next thing. Yeah. Consume the next thing. You don't really think about it. Um, it's, about in, about, it's about instant gratification. Instant gratification. So yeah. this whole inconvenient weekly installments really rubbed me up the wrong way because I think about the X-Files, right? Yeah, Which was yeah. a twi- There was like full season shows. Yeah. But you think 10 years ago, every show was 24 episodes 20, yeah. long. X-Files was a show that went for 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. And there were two kinds of episodes you'd get from the X-Files. One was called Monster of the Week episodes, which was always just like a random mystery that they go off and solve with just some random monster or like just crazy alien or just some sort of mystery. And it didn't really have much connection to To the rest of the It was just about kind of world built, sort of like creating the external world. And then you had the mythology episodes, which were the ones that really delved into like the alien abductions and the character work on on um, Scully and uh, what was his name? Uh, Mulder. 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 Mulder and Scully really delved into the character work and really established like the overarching story that happened across the X-Files. Can you guess how many mythology episodes you had a week, uh, had a, in a single season in the X-Files? Oh, I don't know. Two, three maybe? You had, Probably only... You had six to eight. Six. Half a dozen yeah. in a 24-episode season, and you got 16 to 18 Monster of the Week shows. Oh, God. So, right, if you do the maths on that, you would watch a show over 24 weeks. It's almost six months, yeah. worth of, like five or six months worth of television. You'd be sitting there watching this story play out. Literally 75% of that was filler. Yeah. Filler material that you would be waiting like three or four weeks until you got that next mythology show. The show that actually, but it didn't drove feel that. It didn't feel like that. Never though. felt that way though, because no. you're just watching this, watching this thing, and at the time you didn't think about it. 
But then I hear someone who is complaining about a six-episode series. Yeah. Six episodes. It's yeah. like six hours of content. The six-episode show is in, oh, it's inconvenient. so inconvenient to watch this show. There's no, There's been very little filler in this show. Yeah. Maybe the first two or three episodes where it's really building it and it's sort of like, well, where's this going sort of thing. But in the end, there's a, been a payoff to that, right? So there's very little, I think, very little filler in this show because they've got such a short time frame to just pack everything into it. There's always a build-up. There's always a payoff in these shows. But then you think about something like The X-Files, you sat there for six months, not six weeks. Sorry, I'm saying six. The show goes for nine weeks, yep. but it's, I think it's six hours of, yep. of the thing goes for yep. six hours in total. Um, compare that to a 24-week show where you're watching, even there's like season exactly right. breaks and stuff like that in between holidays where they go off for two or three weeks. Yep. You're watching this show for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then someone comes and complains that it's too inconvenient to watch a nine-episode series that's really moving at breakneck speed. It rubs me up the wrong way. Yeah, I get that. It's like you have people have forgotten how to watch television because of this binging model. Yeah. And not everything the binging model's fine. We do it. I binged Ted Lasso this week. We almost got through the whole series well, we of did the same morning with, wars. We did the same with um although they're not weren't on streaming yeah. um platforms at the time was like the Sopranos. Oh, yeah. And, and, like we waited uh, for them to end what and was then that other one, um, Heisenberg. Um, oh yeah, Breaking Bad. Breaking yeah, Bad. we sort of binged all that through. But they that that Breaking Bad, I think, is an example of one of the last network shows. I think Breaking Bad and then Game of Thrones were shows that also had this conversation going on uh, around yeah. them, and they were networks. But I don't think because like you last... remember we'd go, we'd go to work and, mm. and there'd be half a dozen yeah. people talking about Breaking Bad yeah, or Game and of that Thrones, and that was like almost like four or five yeah. seasons into it. Yeah, and we sort of thought, what the hell? Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't get into it. Yeah, and then we thought it got to a point where, oh well, it's you know it's six seasons down already. Yeah. We might as well just wait till it finishes. Yeah, and exactly. When it finished it, we bought the bought it all and bought just binge watched it. Yeah. All. So there is a. So I do. I don't mind a binge yeah. watch. I enjoy a binge mm. watch, but I also enjoy, like with Wandavision, week that week. weekly. Yeah. And I just and that anticipation, like yeah, that anticipation the, of of, of the, the episode tonight mm-hmm. is like, yeah. just wonder what's going to happen tonight. You know. It's just like it's almost like I don't know. Again, I I think people have forgotten how television works in a way because of this binge model, mm. um, and I think it's been to the detriment of of shows um, and that everything needs to be viewed that way. You need to watch it now. You just don't have the time to process it. The way we are processing this program at the moment, I mean, seven weeks, uh, sorry, seven days of people just speculating what's going to happen in the next episode. Um, But this is a show that is moving at breakneck speed. It's going so fast. Well, it is now. It is now, (laughs) yeah. Well, apart from those first few episodes. And I've seen people complaining, like this guy said here, that it's too much like a movie. And the episodes don't feel episodic. They just feel like one small like little sliver. They've made like a long movie and then chopped it up into little parts. Well, this is where it rubbed me up again. Because you think about the where TV came from was the movie serial. And these were these mm. long 15 to 20-hour movies yeah. that they chopped down into 15 to 20 parts. You'd go to the cinema every single week. You're yeah, going that's right. Back, that's right. Back, 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 like 1920s, 30s. You know, you go you go to the cinema and you'd watch the next part of that serial, and there was always a payoff and a cliffhanger. Mm. Oh, literally, like a lot of the westerns would end with a guy falling off a cliff and grabbing onto the cliff. Will he survive? Next week, oh, come to the next part next week. You go back to the cinema and you'd see the next part of the serial. Yeah, that's right. And by the end of it, they would usually cut that serial into a film. 
So it might be like a two or three hour film. You sat through this, like, cause these parts were probably like, um, you know, five or six minutes, minutes yeah. long. So it wasn't like a 15, 20 hour film. But it was this film that they were able to chop into 15, you know, to 20 parts. You go back every week to see it. Then you go back again to see the movie cut of it. We're talking stuff like Lone Ranger and even like the early Superman stuff with Kirk Allen and um, all those like Zorros and all that kind of stuff. This then got ad- this kind of formula of you have a cliffhanger, you have a revelation, cliffhanger, revelation. You know, it's this one story that's been chopped out down into many parts. This then leads to radio serials when radio comes into television. Yeah. So then there's radio plays yep. and each week it's the same thing. When television comes in and television becomes the main form of home entertainment or really that main form of entertainment at the time when it comes in, they adapt that formula again yeah. from the movie serial to the radio serial to television serial and that is what then become television programming. Mm. So now people are saying, oh, you've made a long movie and you've chopped it down into parts. WandaVision, specifically WandaVision, is the purest television show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for most, definitely, most definitely. It's a television in its pure form yeah. because it is. It's a Marvel film. Yeah. If we've got this six-hour Marvel film, it's just chopped down into little parts. And mm. the worst part is, yes, it moves at breakneck speed and then, bang, it ends. And the end of the episode, you're like, oh, it's, how has this ended already? You're like, mm. You feel like you're watching a movie and you're really into it yep. and then it's like, bang, you're like, yep. Shit, it's finished, right? They've got to wait. And I just think it's – I think this show, the way they have done it is brilliant. Marvel knows what they're doing. Kevin Feige is the best producer in Hollywood right now. I think he's the best producer we've had in Hollywood for, for a long time. A very long time. Yeah. For very, of the modern age, yeah. Kevin Feige. He's the man. He's going to go down in history as one of the greatest producers of all time. Yeah. You talk about like Cecil B. DeMille level. Like mm. you talk about this guy in the 1920s who were making big epic like films, um, like big epic, like two, three hour epic production, silent films and stuff. He's on this level for me. And the, the way you, you see that he has shaped film mm. with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the way they have shaped what the, what the face of cinema is now and the way people build, again, you could see pros and cons of this, but the way he has changed franchising, has changed character IP, the changes that we've seen in cinema in the last 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is akin to what George Lucas did. With cinema after Star Wars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Right. It's this next sort of level. I think he's going to go down as one of the greatest producers in history. And again, I've said this on the podcast, uh, Ben Affleck, who was over at DC doing Batman, um, was on the record not long ago saying, I think Kevin Feige is the best producer in Hollywood right now. He said, he's the only producer that could come to me and say, this is going to work, and I'd believe him. Yeah. So. Well, nothing, nothing's failed for him. No. Really, exactly right. has it? There's been a few things that have been a bit, you, oh, know, but you know, at the beginning, but you're always yeah. going to have, like, yeah. it's always going to be hit and miss and whatever else. Um, but he certainly hit on a formula, hasn't he? Absolutely. He, he hit on a formula that, that worked yep. and he stuck with it. And how many people are trying to copy that oh, exactly formula right. now? Yeah, exactly right. Not only DC, whole but DC got, universe like how many to... people are trying to do, like Universal tried to do their Monster Universe, yeah. which failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got these, like Hasbro is trying to do a Hasbro universe. You've got the Godzilla Kong universe, which is actually going quite strong mm. because they took the model where they went, give them their own solo films. Six years later, finally got Godzilla vs. Kong, you know, after three movies. Yeah. You finally got the big payoff film. Don't do what DC did. You do Superman and then bang, you do Superman vs. Batman, right? That's going on another tangent. Um, but 
I just think WandaVision is television in its purest form. And I think people, because of the binge model, people have forgotten how to watch TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I understand Or that. forgotten yeah. where television has come from. Yeah. Um, and again, that whole argument with this is just a long movie cut down. Of course it is. Mm. That's how these things work. Yeah. Even the Netflix shows are like this. Queen's Gambit, which we watched. Yep. We binged that one. Yeah. Right? How many episodes was that? Like eight episodes or something? Yeah, eight, eight, something like that. Something like that. That has been nominated for a Golden Globe as a television film. Not as a TV series. Mm. It wasn't in a TV series. Has it really? No, it was nominated as a, as a tally a film, tele- as a tally tally film. movie. Yeah. Wow. It's literally what these Netflix programs are. When, it's you, a movie. when you think of it, it doesn't matter what the series. I mean, you even look at things like, uh, I suppose, uh, Friends. Yeah. At the start, they would they would have mapped all that out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, from, from, from season to season. Yeah. So they would, they would, have, they would have said, okay, well, Here's where we start. This is where yep. we need to finish it by mm. the end of the season, and they would map that whole thing out. Yep. So that's the same thing. Yeah, exactly right. It's like a big long movie that yeah. you then chop down into. And then they'll bits. start the next season from where they finished off that one. And think, okay, we're going from there. Now we've got to get to there. Mm. But they would have known that at some point, yeah, they're going to be here. Yeah, they're going to be you know eight seasons down yep. or whatever it went yep. for, and they need to be at a certain mm. point for that. Yep. And and they would have changed and moved it obviously yep. throughout the years, but. Every every TV series is like that. every TV series. The only difference it. now is you don't have all that filler stuff. That's why these shows are so much shorter now, is because you don't have those sixteen you know episodes of nothing. Yeah, that's to right. To get to the main yep. like the meaty stuff, it's all yeah. like it's all like important stuff. So anyway, that's my thoughts on all that. Got yeah, all no, look, I, I don't disagree. Like I, as I said, I I enjoy a binge watch. Yep. Um, Me too. And. I also enjoy a weekly mm-hmm. episode. I think... Depending on what it is. I think it needs to be taken... Yeah, exactly. Like, piece, show by show. And on a show by show yeah. basis, you've got to depend... The binge model's fine. I mean, that's where we're going now. That's what the future is. Yeah. It's going to be binging, stuff like that forever. But I think Disney and Marvel are very smart of bringing that old formula back because there are some shows that do work in yeah. that do work, and you yeah. you might say it's a marketing ploy. Disney oh, just want people talking about it. There's and no it, doubt it about it. It definitely is. is. It definitely is. But they have crafted this show to be watched in this format. Yeah, it's almost like and Disney's gone to him and said, "We want this show. It's going to be week by week. You know, we want to capitalize on people just talking, like big conversation over this show, whatever." And Kevin Feige's gone, "Okay, we can do that, but we're going to make sure that we." Build the show in a way that it can be watched mm. week by week, and it's, and it's and it's a business decision as well. Yeah, it's to get it's to get you to keep paying. For, oh, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly right. You, you know, kind of you have to keep for paying. the streaming. You have to keep paying week by week um, by week. But I mean, what, what's what's Disney Plus? How much is that? It's going up this week. Uh, I think it's like it's only cheap. It's only it's only like like ten bucks or something. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be wrong, but it it has. I think at the moment, um, it's only. Um, I think at the moment it's like eight or nine dollars, but they're putting it up by a few bucks a month now, um, which is not a, which is not a lot of money for, for no exactly right a whole a whole gamut of bloody yeah, exactly of, right. of entertainment. Well, they're doubling the output with Star this week, so that's why they're putting the price yeah, up, which is well, fair. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I think so. So um, you know, so that, that's designed not only not only is it designed for being the TV shows yeah. designed to keep you exactly engaged right. on on their streaming service but and paying for it. That's what TV shows were anyway. Exactly the right. networks were having to get exactly the ratings right. every week. I mean, you look at Foxtel. Yeah, you know, we were paying for Foxtel. I'm not telling you what we're paying for that every yeah, yeah. bloody month. Yeah, yeah. So it cost me a fortune. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it all used to be um, ad-free. Yeah. Now, yeah. It's it's an old TV so format. Yeah. You know, you'll have in a half hour half hour episode of a show, you'll have you know two ad breaks. Yeah. That that might go for three or four minutes each. Mm. You know, yeah. so here you are, you're paying for it, and they're also getting advertising revenue. Yeah. Whereas on these streaming services, you're paying for it, but you're not yeah. getting the, the you know, not getting ads and all that sort See, of stuff. That's so, an example of an old model that we can get rid of because it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Binging works, but the old format of viewing something week by week still works mm. for specific shows. It's yeah, not inconvenient. Right. Don't come at me with, oh, it's so inconvenient to watch this show for well, nine weeks Well, if it's inconvenient, in just don't watch it until the last episode's See, been that's dropped also, and then watch it. That's also what's smart about it because no one's going to do that because people want to be up to date with it. That's they want right. to be in this conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, lot, there's a lot in to why this show is a week by week thing, but I think the way they've structured it, Perfectly works for a week by week structure. Again, you can you can t- t- you can pick and choose which ones are going to work for what format, but don't say it's it's an outdated format or it's a inconvenient format because it still works. Look at even us right here. We've been talking about this for thirty minutes. Even this discourse here yeah. about you know arguing with other people about does this show work? That's all part of the conversation. Yep. Right now we're we're part of the conversation yeah, of the program. Right. And this program, it's not the discussion about this is not just about oh what's happening in the program. It's about what is this program doing on a larger scale um, when it comes to film and entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And with this time, this hinge where things could go either way, you know, mm. and we've seen it like expediated with the um, with the pandemic and everything. Yeah, it's just in a very strange time. Talking instant gratification. Instant gratification. Here's another thing, right? Martin Scorsese. The great Martin Scorsese. Are you still pissed off now? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. going. going re- I'm okay with One Division. I had my say, but now I'm getting onto this one here, and I'm still we fiery. We should have had a little button that said Dave's pissed off. Yeah, we will next time. <laughs> we will next time. We're now in 15 minutes already from that uh, the comedy show. Remember? Dave was. Yeah, Dave it was on Rove. Like, Rove, Rove, ni- right. Rove 99. That was before Rove Live. Ah, uh, yeah. It was a show that's he did right. on Channel yeah, Nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Callanan Dave was on Callanan. it, and he was always Dave's pissed Dave's off. Pissed off. So anyway, Martin Scorsese's come out. Scorsese's always coming out and saying things that just piss people off, right? So a couple of years ago, he came out and he said, um, it's in 2019, he was asked about superhero movies, what he thinks about superhero movies. He says, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. This is not the quote, this is not the quote at hand, but this is something he said a couple of years ago. Uh, a couple of years ago, that riled up quite a few people, saying superhero films aren't cinema. As people saying it's a little bit pretentious. A lot of uh, filmmakers came out and said, "Yeah, no, what do you do?" James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, came out and he made the point that when Scorsese did The Last Temptation of Christ. There were a lot of um, sort of Christian groups came out and rallied against the film um, because it was sacrilegious or whatever else, um, and and this was these were people who hadn't even watched the movie, and James Gunn says it's hard for me to see that Martin Scorsese went through this when he's now doing the same thing to the kinds of films that I make, right? 
And so these statements Scorsese made on the superhero movies, I understand what he's trying to say, but I don't think he would look very right. And that I didn't really quite agree with that at the time. I just say something is not cinema. I think is wrong because yeah, exactly they're inherently right. cinema. No matter yeah. what form it is, if it's the worst film ever made, it's still cinema. It's still art. You can't disqualify it because it's about people in tights running around and flying yeah. and stuff, right? People still put their heart and soul into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You know, anyway, if there's the any kind of work going into something, that's cinema. I didn't really agree with that. But he's come out now with, um, with an op-ed in Harper's Magazine, massive one, where he's kind of, again, it's this kind of thing where he's talking about um, film preservation and how the way that we are um, absorbing media, the way that we um, consume media now, has changed the fabric of what film is film, or what yeah. cinema is or the more particularly the way that people think of it or view it. And as a result, what the distributors are doing to keep these films part of some sort of conversation. And in most cases, they're vaulting it, like Disney's been doing for years, yeah. and you can't get it until a certain point, you can't yep. watch it. So I'll read the quote from Scorsese. This is quite lengthy. Lengthy. This is expedited, though. It's abridged. So it's a shorter version <laughs> of like a massive op-ed that he did. He says, As recently as 15 years ago, the term content was heard only when people were discussing the cinema on a serious level, and it was contrasted with and measured against form. Then gradually, it was used more and more by the people who took over media companies, most of whom knew nothing about the history of the art form or even cared enough to think that they should. Content is now a business term for all moving images. A David Lean movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero sequel, a series episode. On the one hand, this has been good for filmmakers, myself included, because he did um, The Irishman for Netflix. Um, on the other hand, it has created a situation in which everything is presented to the viewer on a level playing field, which sounds democratic but isn't. If further viewing is suggested by algorithm based on what you've already seen and the suggestions are based only on subject matter or genre, then what does that do to the art of cinema? Everything has changed. The cinema and the importance it holds in our culture. Of course, it hardly, it's hardly surprising that artists such as Jean-Luc Godard, Ingmar Bergman, Stanley Kubrick and Fellini, who once reigned over our great art form like gods, would eventually recede into the shadows with the passing of time. But at this point, we can't take anything for granted. We can't depend on the movie business such as it is to take care of cinema. In the movie business, which is now the mass visual entertainment business, the emphasis is always on the word business and value is always determined by the amount of money to be made from any given property. In that sense, everything from Sunrise to La Strada to 2001 is now pretty much rung dry and ready for the art film swim lane on any streaming platform, on a streaming platform. To make it crystal clear to the current legal owners of these films that they amount to much, much more than mere property to be exploited and then locked away. They are among the greatest treasures of our culture and they must be treated accordingly. What do you feel about this? This has caused a huge stir. God. He's taking a bit of a swipe, isn't he? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know what my thoughts are on that. Caused a huge stir. Yeah. People are saying he's a pretentious, privileged old man. Someone tried to argue with me online that he feels like Martin Scorsese feels like he's being silenced. He's being silenced, so he has to come out and try and well, make sure that his films times, aren't... To a degree, don't you? Well, uh, I don't disagree with right. him. People have accused him of gatekeeping cinema. 
and there's nothing wrong with it. And you know what, gatekeeping, yeah. gatekeeping is like this term that they throw around recently in fandoms where, oh, you're not a real fan of that, or, mm. oh, you haven't, been, you haven't been a Star Wars fan since the 1970s like me, so you're not a true Star yeah, Wars fan. Yeah. Get out, like sort of gatekeeping sort of thing. But has he earned the right to be like that, though? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I don't think he's gatekeeping, right? He's produced some of the biggest films mm-hmm. in history. Yep. I think he's earned the right yep. to be a gatekeeper. But I don't think he is being a gatekeeper. That's well, I'm, the I'm thing. not saying yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he is if or he, not. I'm saying if, if, if you were to take that, yeah, yeah. If 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 you're sitting there and you're saying and you're saying, oh, he's, he's just he's just being a yeah. gatekeeper. Well, mm. what's wrong with that? Martin Scorsese, somebody's going to look after it. Well, he is the single person at the moment. I feel, particularly of his stature, who is doing anything to this level of trying to preserve film and trying to preserve film as an art form. Now, he runs the World Cinema Project. Um, sorry, he started the uh, the Film Foundation in 1990, mm-hmm. which he formed alongside others like George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Clint Eastwood, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Robert Redford, um, Polak, Sidney Polak, yep. and a number of others. Um, it's a US-based non-profit organisation dedicated to film preservation and the exhibition of restored and classic cinema. He's also spun out of that the World Cinema Project, founded in 2007, it's a non-profit organisation devoted to preservation and restoration of neglected world cinema, so foreign language film. Um, and he's he has worked with Criterion, the mm-hmm. um, boutique label, Blu-ray, DVD, yep. been back since VHS. Um, he's worked with them on numerous box sets, which is called the Scorsese's World Cinema Project. And each of these boxes has like maybe five, six world uh, fi- uh, world films that he feels like has been underlooked, or you know that through his project. No, his foundation is restored and kind of brought back to the limelight. Now, Criterion obviously is a very niche kind of thing. Not a lot of people are going to be buying these, but um, he's doing a lot to kind of try and preserve cinema. Um, and he has his whole career. Um, yeah. Again, there's a time and place for streaming, but it shouldn't come to the I, – I feel it should not come to the detriment – of the true cinematic experience, which is what Scorsese's trying to say. Everything's content now. Yep. You go to Netflix, everything's on there. 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is a film I don't particularly like, right? He says it's now pretty much run dry and it's just in the art film lane. No one's going to go to the art films, right? And some films like this, they might just get dropped off the streaming service because no one wants to watch that. Just get it off there, right? And people are not, are not being able to access these films. They should be able to access. And this is then to the detriment of the cinema experience mm. because these films are being treated, they're being mistreated as a piece of content, not a piece of art or a piece of but, or a oh, film. Oh, look, I'm, on two, I'm in two minds here mm. about it because, as I said before, I think he's earned the right to mm-hmm. have those comments, make those yeah. comments and have those views. But I also think that if these things, like, I'm not a 2001 Space yeah, Odyssey yep. fan at all, I can't stand that film. Um, if it's going on the streaming services, it's giving people the opportunity to actually see them mm. as well. People yeah. who, wouldn't, who would not normally... You might be sitting there on a Sunday afternoon and thinking, oh, what crap have I, what crap have I got to watch? Oh, there's nothing to watch. Oh, I've never seen this. Let's have a look at this. Yeah, but I think in part also what he's saying is that so algorithmically, ba- so algorithmically based now, 
that something like that is not going to pop up in a recommendation. It's like spot, take Spotify, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah, right? I get that. You yeah. listen to Spotify, yeah. you listen to, you know, certain music, certain musicians. It's going to start recommending. It starts building six, um, um, six uh, playlists every single day, recommending you music that you like based on the music based you've been listening, listening to. to. Yeah. There's no way you can expand your horizons. Now, I'm someone who will listen to the Beatles on one day. I'll listen to. Uh, Elvis another day, listen to Johnny Cash, and then I'll listen, listen to Coldplay, Coldplay. Or... Well, these are all sort of sound down the same lane. Yeah. But then Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Um, one day I might listen to a bit of a Voldy like, or Beethoven. Well, or... yeah, like uh, yeah, Mozart, Mozart or classic music, and then I'll listen to some of the newer stuff, like uh, Dua Lipa as an artist I really like. Um, and so I, I have this varied. Palette, if you want to call it, just mm, kind of this varied mm. interest in all kinds of different music, right? And you can apply this to film, where I have I will watch any genre of film because I think a good, a good film is a good film. Um, but with this algorithm thing, how do people now get to experience all these other things if they're being spoon fed the same thing? Well, if you're if you're let's, let's take two thousand one as a yep. Example, if you're sitting there and watching things like Ad Astra mm. or other, you know, science yeah. fiction, spacey sort of things, is that going to be recommended? Well, I don't know. How, how much does it take into account of the age of the film that you're watching as well? Well, who knows? Those who build the algorithms, yeah. though. Yeah, but I reckon that's part of it as well. If maybe? you're not watching films before 1960, yeah, uh, it's not going to recommend those films to you, mm. or, you know, before a certain era. Yeah. I reckon they're so, I mean, and I'm probably just speaking shit, but I think they are built so smart that they don't recommend any music to you past you know, a certain period because, mm. or, or movies uh, before a certain period because you've only been watching these things over here yeah, as opposed to these things over here. I think that's what he's trying to say is that, there's so many things that now it's to the detriment of these things that aren't going to be able to be found. And it gets to a point where they're not being watched and the streaming service drops it. And we become, we're going into this world now where there's less and less physical media, fewer titles are being released on physical disc, a lot of stuff's going out of print. The only way right now is to view it on streaming, if it's even yeah. on streaming. So what does this mean for the future? I think that's what he's saying. Like right now is the turning point where what he's calling for essentially is proper curation on these media platforms. Not so much about what you're doing's wrong, streaming's wrong, uh, binging's wrong. It's about curating these collections yep. better so that it's not to the detriment of the film and so that it so that viewers do get a wider gamut of mm, content mm. to choose from. It's not exactly spoon feeding it to you. Um, so, like the example I was saying before, if I'm listening to um, Elvis constantly for a week, it's never going to recommend Mozart to me. No, that's right. Right. So, if you're watching superhero films constantly, it's never going to recommend something to you like Ben Hur. Mm. You know. Yeah. So, the way that we now, as viewers, choose our content is really based on spoon feeding. Mm. On this thing going, you love that, watch this, you'll yeah. love this too. Because um, not everybody's like us. Not everybody No, will, exactly not right. Not everybody will go out and buy a Blu-ray no. or DVD or 4K, whatever, Yeah, like we do. Mm. Um, and we can pick and choose what we watch, when yep. we watch and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas I can see what he's saying that you're almost held to ransom. Yeah. By the streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. By them saying, you can watch this stuff, but this stuff, we were not going to let you watch this shit. Yeah. Moving that out in five years' time. Mm. Yeah. To watch it. Yeah, exactly right. That's what Disney's been doing for so, years with their physical media. Yeah, exactly. So I get, I get, what, I get where he's coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm in two minds. What's the other mind? I like the I like the convenience of it all. Uh-huh. Um, but the but the thing I don't like is the fact that you can't have what you want when you want it. Yeah, I think that's and that's why we have physical. But media. I think that's what he's saying, right? He's saying he doesn't have a problem with streaming. He did The Irishman for Netflix. Yep. That was the only platform that would would let him make that film. Mm. It was a movie he was trying to make for years and years. And finally, Netflix goes, we'll give you the money for that. Yeah. Right? So the only way he could get that movie made was through a streaming service. Mm. He say, What he's saying in here is there's no problem with that. There's no problem with this model of this, the way we are viewing content, but it's more about the way the content's curated yeah, and how it is to the detriment of those movies. And I feel like a lot of people that have gone and rallied against him, oh, privileged old guy, he's pretentious, oh, okay. that's part, no, of, the, that's part of the that. problem. This is what fires me up is that people just don't want to listen to it. Yeah, He has valid points. Yep. And, again, there can be cases made for or against streaming or whatever, right? My main issue is listen to what he's saying. This guy yeah. knows better than anyone else, yeah. apart from maybe George Lucas out there who is building like this massive um, like narrative film, narrative museum, library thing out in, in um, California. Um, but Martin Scorsese, man, this is the guy you've got to listen to. Mm. And I said I disagree with things he said in the past. He has some hot takes, but this one I can get behind because yep. cinema as an art form is changing, but it's not necessarily for the best. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it. Yeah, so again, I, I think I, I think I agree with him. Yeah, you think you do? I think I do. Yeah. So I, in fact, no, I do. I do agree with yeah. him because you know, like we curate our own, yeah. co- our own, yeah. collection. Exactly right. Well, we've curated a collection yeah, of exactly not right. only stuff that we think we like, but I'm sitting here watching fucking Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> movies every morning. Exactly right. Because I because yeah. I find it fun, right? Yeah. And I neglected those movies for thirty years because yeah. I thought it's going to be shit. Yeah. And I finally picked one up. I was like, you know what? This is okay. I'm yeah. enjoying this. Um, yeah. So, and, as, and as you said before, we enjoy. We'll we'll watch anything. Mm-hmm. If it's a good film, it's a good film. Mm-hmm. Whether it was made in the nineteen twenties or twenty twenties, yeah, it doesn't matter. If it's yeah. a good film, it's a good film. Mm. Um, so you know, we've got a good collection of old. You know, what I consider old original yeah. films, like you know, Gone with the Wind, yeah. and you know, all those, yeah, like they're sort of classic, you know, on the classic stuff. There, yeah. right? So, you know, well, I, I sort of, I think, I, I think I agree with you. Well, no, I do, is, I do agree. Look, with you. we collect physical, but we stream as well. Exactly. We're watching right. WandaVision. We're streaming shows on Apple Plus, on Netflix, on Amazon. Because Prime, it's designed for that. It's designed, it's designed that. to do that. It's fine. That's the way the future's going. I'm not holding a grudge because that's the way future's going. Things move on. We're in the future now. We're in 2021. Yep. And it's changing. It's fine. But I agree with him in that it needs to change in a way that's not to detriment other stuff. Yeah. Um, look, we stream. We buy movies physically as well. But this is also, you know, we're saying this is why we buy the large physical media. At this point for me, 
we were in nearly 6,000 films and TV shows in our library. Yeah, that's right. Right? In the past, it's let's just buy a bunch of movies, we'll watch them, we'll enjoy them. But for me at this point now, where I'm seeing where cinema's going, I'm thinking this might be my last chance to, to own, own it. It might be my last chance to even be able to see it. I don't know if it's ever going to pop up on a streaming service, and if it is, if I'm even going to see it because of the algorithm. For me, it's now about curating a library of cinema from the beginning of time. Mm. I've got a stack of movies over here at the moment. So most of them are older films. I see like a couple of Buster Keaton box sets there, you know, silent films from 1910s, 1920s. There's Universal Monsters, classic stuff, a lot of film noir and stuff. I'm just picking away at almost everything, and I enjoy all this. And some of it that I don't enjoy, it's all right, it's fine. Mm. It's in the library. We'll never throw anything out that we don't like because it's built this library. But for me also at this point, it's not just about me. It's not just about you. I feel like if when I have children, how are they going to access all these kinds of films, this vast catalogue of cinema, if it's all streaming-based? There's a lot of stuff sitting out there. Is it that's not streaming? That this new generation won't see on a streaming service or won't be able to see unless they have six or seven streaming services. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My kids might grow up and not like movies and whatever, you know. Be your own person. Might be my grandchildren, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, you, it's there. And if my kids turn out like me and you and they want to watch movies, they've got this 6,000 movies they can choose from. By the from. time they're around, there'll be 10,000. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and here's, here's another question to that. Yeah. Another, another yeah. Um, what do you call it? You know what I'm trying to think of? What? <laughs> another, another, another angle, angle to yeah. it. How long is Samsung, Sony, mm. LG and all these manufacturers well, yeah. going to keep producing Blu-ray players? Yeah, well, who dropped out? Panasonic dropped out. They don't produce Blu-ray players. That's right. Yeah. So it's going to get to a point where you're going to think, shit, they're, getting, yeah. they're not manufacturing these anymore. Yeah. I better go buy two or three of them. Mm-hmm. To last I'm me, already seeing people to doing last that. Me the next 20, I've had people years. write in and say, I've just bought like three Blu-ray players yeah. so that I've got them there. And something I'm considering about doing, just going and buying something and just have it yeah. there. Well, we've got some that have kind of are starting to die now that are te- five years old. Yeah. Um, so, and we've got, you know, we're three or four in the house, yeah. four, maybe more in the house. And mm. they all still work, yeah. but to varying degrees. Yeah, so, exactly. So they're still going to be usable. Yeah. But it's going to get to a point where even I'm going to go out and go – you know, I'm, I've probably got another 20 years of my life or 25 years or 30 mm. years, whatever life I've got yeah. left, I'm still going to want to be able to access yeah, that. exactly right. Because, you know, you, you've had conversations between your mother and me yeah. where we where we go and we'll watch a film and, and you'll say, oh, you've watched that, and we'll go, oh, I don't remember it. Oh. Well, we're going to be so blissfully, yeah. blissfully <laughs> unaware. unaware of stuff we've watched yeah. that we'll be able to watch stuff yeah. over and over again and think, oh, that exactly. was a good film. Yeah. When was that one made? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. You know, so we, so even I'm going to have to have mm. Blu-ray players that are going to last me through my life. Yep. Well, I look if I you look know? at, um, so that's that's another dimension to it all. Yeah. Well, I look at my. We've got our all our films catalogued on here in this app, um, CLZ Movies. It's called. We catalog everything that we own. If I go to genre, and I go to my genre of classic films, which is what I consider to be anything made before 1980. I've pushed it. It used to be 1970. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like, <laughs> what, what they're now calling vintage. 
because a lot of 80s, 90s stuff, 30, 40 years old now, people are starting to consider classic, right? Yeah. So vintage cinema, yeah, anything kind of before the 1980s, for me, anyway. That's where the cutoff point is where cinema changes with Star Wars and Jaws and all that kind of stuff in the 70s. So I cut off at the end of the 1970s where you go into like this new era of cinema. That's how I... No, yeah, you've yeah. still got people acting in movie, big movies like Paul Newman and Robert Redford and stuff are still barely in their prime. They're classic actors, vintage actors, and they're, you know, so I, anyway, yeah, up yeah. to the 1980s, and then I cut it off. Um, classic films, or vintage films in our collection, 980. Who? Nearly 1,000, right? There's a couple there. How many of these movies are going to wind up on streaming services? Yeah, well. And it's there. Look, probably, even if probably they, not a lot. Even if they don't get watched. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's a curation. It's a library yeah. where everything's there, and if I need to access something, I'll access it. Mm. I'm working on a cartoon evolution at the moment. I'm not going to reveal it, um, but if you've been on my letterbox, you might get some hints because I watched a documentary this week um, to help me to aid in mm. that evolution, which is something that's been sitting there for uh, since 2006, right? So 15 mm. years, this documentary has been sitting there, and I've been thinking, oh, I'll watch it one day. Finally, got around to watching it. It's there. Mm. It's there. Exactly like, right. And, you have to go searching. And that box set, right, series of whatever films, films um, dozens of documentaries on there that are going to help me immensely in this next Cartoon Evolution video. It's just mm. there. Mm. It's reference material. Yeah. Even if it doesn't get exactly watched, right. I might be doing a video on, uh, who knows, classic cinema or something, or just some obscure. On Clark Gable or something. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, well, that's the thing. When I do these cartoon characters and you see, oh, Bugs Bunny was influenced by um, by Clark Gable's character in um, It Happened One Night, the Frank Capra film from the 1920s, I've got it in my collection. I'll go check it out. I'll mm-hmm. see what they're talking about. Right? I'll watch it. I might watch some document. There might be some documentary on there that gives me a little bit of an insight to the background of that world. And for me, that is more of just like a catalogue of reference material as well. Yeah. And I think that's important too because these films, they're not just movies, they're not just content. It is reference material mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And we can't forget that. And that's a big part of what I do with my cartoon evolutions is someone put it to me, one of my patrons put it to me, you're making these videos that are going up on YouTube, they're going to be there forever. And these are these documentaries that are about these characters that I dive so deep into them that I go back to the to the roots of the character. Mm. In some cases I go so wildly off topic but make it important. It's always an important part of the character. And it might be the sake of going back to a movie from the 1920s that inspired Bugs Bunny, mm. something like that. Um, so these movies, these films all so serve different purposes. Mm. And I feel like without that crea- creation, again, not everyone's going to be able to build a collection of 6,000 titles. That's fine. But there always should be a way for people to be able to access that stuff and whether that is in a collection or whether that's on streaming. Yeah. Don't lock stuff behind an algorithm or just so, hide it away where you're never going to find it. Yeah, so in a lot of, a lot of the a lot of films, probably not so much now, but when, when they were all being put on you know DVD and Blu-ray yep. and stuff, not all films came with special features. Yeah, yeah. And they came out as special editions, and we always made sure we bought the special yeah. editions yeah. that had the had the features yeah. in it. And this is that example, and, and that's exactly what you know. Well, we didn't yeah. know at the time, yeah, obviously, yeah. but yeah. we we because we enjoyed the whole process mm. of filmmaking and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
that's why we bought them. Yeah. But it turns out that they've become really mm-hmm. useful yeah. as reference material. Same with my book. I have a collection yeah. of hundreds of books, and a lot of it was just I was just enjoyed reading about movies and filmmaking, and you know, just plowing through these books and and um, you know, learning about movies and stuff. At this point. I'm going back to books that I bought 20 years ago yeah. and using them as reference for my yeah, cartoon right. evolution. Yeah. Um, and I feel like maybe the same case can be said for books and reference material. You just don't get as much anymore. Mm. Um, so building up these libraries and these catalogs does serve more of a – I feel like maybe we've gone a little bit off topic. Yeah. But um, No, but it's, it's, it's all relevant It's all though. part it's of it, all, isn't it? It's all part of it. Um, so I feel like this stuff needs to be readily available, and that's all he's saying, I think, uh, because it then detriments – what these pieces of art can be used for. Mm. I mean, I've been with you on several occasions when you've gone in to buy, buy books and I've said to you, what do you want that for? Mm. Well, it might be useful one day. Yeah. And a lot of that means a lot of A lot is, of it has been. Yeah. I buy dozens of comic books and stuff as well and half I don't read, but I know that at some point I'm going to need to reference. A reference. A re- Here's an example. I bought the, Wonder, the Vision and the Scarlet Witch arc Ten, five, five, six years ago, really weird arc where Wanda and Vision get married and they move into a house in suburbia and things start going a little bit weird. And thought oh, this is the weirdest arc I've ever seen in any comic book, but I'm intrigued. Get that in my collection. What's happened now? Yeah. They've made that into a TV show, yeah. and I can go and back to that reference. as reference material. Yeah, and I don't have to sound like I'm speaking shit if I'm doing a video. Yeah. If I see something in that episode, I can go back to the book and just kind of like, oh yeah, I can understand where the re- where the kind of it's come yeah. from and all this stuff. Um, so just even the most obscure things, mm. if it's something that interests you, if it's something that interests me, and I feel like at some point, I just always know at some point this is going to come in handy. Yeah. And it might even be a book that you just take a line from, a quote. Yep. So yep. many books I go, again, I might be studying a character. Um, it's just some random character or something, and there's something that links it back to something else, and I go, I have a book on that, or I have a book that might discuss that. Well, how many, t- how many times did you do that while you were overseas? Oh, yeah. You, you, you'd ring me or message yeah. me or something. Can you have a look in this book yeah. for yeah. this? See if there's a quote on this yeah. person. And then I would, then I would yeah. you know, take a shot on the phone mm-hmm. and send it or yeah. scan it and send it across or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that happened dozens of times while you were overseas. And I buy a lot of history books too. So yeah. like 20th century history yeah. books as American presidents or on the war or whatever. And that's stuff I'm falling back on now as well when I do mm. – Character, like this character was impacted by the war or this character was like a, a big figurehead for, you know, soldiers in Vietnam or something. I have reference, historical reference material that I can fall back on to then help me build my story a little bit mm. more. Um, so, again, yeah, wildly away from what Scorsese was discussing. But it's not but it's really. All it's all about curation. That. It's about yeah. curating, curating um, collections yeah. and, and that's what he's – and I think what about. he's saying is that this kind of curation is so rare now that it's all falling in the hands of these people who own this material, who are only offering it to us in one way. So curate your content in a way that is going to be accessible for people. Whether that's to view as a film or whether to view as a piece of reference material, it's all history. Yeah, this cinema is all history. And I know? think, I think, I think, I think it's a bit of a sad indictment on, on. Um, what your generation mm-hmm. that a lot of these people have no real respect for the past yeah. cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, exactly what it is. And these are the people making decisions on what mm. go, on what's exactly going right. up. Exactly right. 
you know? But the thing I think is like, I think about something like Casablanca, which was made in 1941, right? Um, So when I was born, 50 years old, 50 year old movie. Yeah, that's right. It's not that, wasn't really that old. Cinema hasn't been around for long. Mm. It's a 50 year old movie. It's 80 years old now. Yeah. How much older does that sound to oh, people exactly who are right. young yeah, and yeah, growing exactly up? Right. When I was growing up, Casablanca was, I remember The Wizard of Oz celebrating like its 60th or 70th anniversary. Mm. Like that's 1939, that film. Um, so how old is that now? It's just past 80 years. It's 80, 82, 82 years. years. So I remember I must have bought the 60th anniversary edition of, of the film, maybe. Um, I'm just trying to think. Trying to Guys, how old does that make me? 60th anniversary would have been. I remember buying the 70th, the 75th, the 80th, maybe. So maybe 75th. But like as a kid, I watched that film when I was like eight years old. Yeah. Right, so that movie well, maybe is that movie's like fifty-ish years old when I'm a kid. I didn't realize that, but they don't. But now these movies seem a lot older. Yeah, so yeah, to yeah. me, the movies that were made in like the forties feel like movies that were made in the forties feel to people of today's generation what movies are like the nineteen tens feel like to me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I get that because yeah, it's so like that. that larger gap. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I feel like the older, and that's even what he says in this first thing is like. He said, "There's obviously going to get a part. There's obviously going to be a point where this starts fading into obscurity. They become yeah. so old, but we can prevent that from happening, mm. Mm. right?" So, but that, but that's happened with a lot of film uh, already. Like mm. you look at things like uh, we were talking talking earlier um, off, you know, before we did the podcast about yeah. um, uh, Ned Kelly, the film Ned Kelly, yeah, yeah. made in nineteen oh four or something, something yeah. like that, was the first. What feature-length film. film. Who knows about that? Well, exactly right. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of people that know or yeah. have seen that or has seen that film. 1906. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, so that stuff's gone. That's way off into obscurity. Mm. Yeah, now, we sure. don't even have a copy of that. No. The only copy you, know? you could get of that was like a DVD restoration, the National Archive or something did, yeah. and I never, I was too young. But see, I was too young. So you'll have to go to, to places even, like the archives, yeah. National Archives, the to ACMI, see this sort Well, the stuff. Australian, the ACMI, ACMI yeah. they have a, a vast library of video that you can go and you can watch. Yeah. And they have a, like a library on their computer and it's, it could be anything, television shows, classic films, like yeah. reference, reference material. They've got a catalogue. Yeah. They've curated a catalogue where you can go and you watch it on their premises, take, like the but old who's school do way that? of doing it. No one. No one's going to do it. I've been there and there's no one in there. And it's only going to be, it's only going to be people like you or I mm. or or students of film yeah. that are going to, that's going to go in there and use that as reference yep. material. Yeah. And and I doubt whether, you know, mm. there's too many too many people actually going to do that. It's a pretty sad state. I don't know. I just feel like the older the older I get, the older grumpier you get. Well, grumpier I get, yeah. <laughs> but the older things start to feel um the older I start realizing, I, I, I try and put myself in the mindset of someone who's growing up now. And again, that idea of Casablanca is like an 80 year old film now. But when I was young, it wasn't that old. And I think about movies like um, movies I grew up with, even like Big Daddy or whatever from like the 1990s yeah. yep. to today's generation. They're as old, That's an old as, film. They're as old as stuff like 
what vacation or Ferris Bueller or something was like to me Blub, as a kid. Flubber. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, Flubber came out when I was a kid. But yeah. a movie like Flubber yeah. to today's generation is as old as something like Caddyshack or yeah. Ferris Bueller was yeah, to me. Right. You know, even older. Yeah. Just 20 years. Yeah. You know, Caddyshack, like all those 80s. I was like 10 watching them. Something so like 10, 70, 20 years yeah. old. Yeah. So I feel like you got to put it into perspective and the older cinema gets and the more stuff, stuff that comes out, all this older stuff just kind of gets pushed and it's, oh, that's old. So that kind of does spiral into another thing. There's been a big discourse. Well, that discussion, I agree with Scorsese. You agree with him now? Yeah, I do Beautiful. agree Beautiful. And if I yeah, have I changed do. the minds of anyone out there, I'd be very happy. <laughs> I'd like to hear why. I'm a pretty I'd, stubborn old bastard yeah. to change the mind. Wow, well, how but. good's that? We've done it. We cracked it. No, but if there is anyone out there who's been on the fence or whatever and have listened to this, stuck through that, I'd like to I'd like to really know. So send me a tweet, send me an email, DaveLeePod at gmail.com. Get me on Instagram, wherever you can get. I'd really like to know if this conversation is broken through to anyone. Yeah. Right? Or write an, uh, like a comment down in the description if you're watching on YouTube, mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, I'm just kind of keen on what people keen to hear what people are thinking. Um, so again, Scorsese is not lashing out against these things. He's just—it's like we—he's need... just concerned. We, he's he's concerned, concerned. Concerned for the history. He's of an time. older guy. He's not going to be around for too much longer. Um, and it's like he's trying to do what he can do while he can to do preserve it. it. Yeah. Um, and you got to listen to these. Like you can't dismiss him as. And like you got to—you got to hope that there's somebody behind him. Oh yeah. Like you know, say Christopher Nolan or somebody yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. That is going to take that mantle on. Well, he would be, I think, Christopher Nolan out of today's. Well, I would imagine would he'd be, be one because yeah. he's the one that still insists on shooting on film and yeah. shooting on the biggest and the best formats yeah. and um, all that. So I, th- I feel like there are still people out there like this. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see movies get swept under the rug completely. But and it's I'm reckoning like, you'll see guys like Clint Eastwood and all that. Yeah. all agree with Scorsese. Oh yeah, and well, they would most definitely part of that film fund sort of thing. Yeah, they just have to, you know, like. Yeah. And as I said, I just hope that there's somebody behind him, yeah. like a like a Christopher Nolan. Yeah. That he's going to take it on mm. and run with it and yeah. say, this is what we need to preserve yep. and this is how we need to For preserve sure. it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, another part of it, it's, this has also sparked, we're pushing two hours here. Um, oh, but, <laughs> but this has also sparked. Hasn't felt like, like it? No. It's sparked a whole other debate about why, should, why do we even need to watch old movies? And this is like this kind of weird runoff thing that's come from this. They're old. We don't need to watch them. They're old. I feel like we've made a case for why they're important. So we don't need to spend too much, uh, so too much time on it. There's been a lot of shit takes from people just saying no, this yeah. movie, these these movies are old. Why should I watch it? There was a tweet. I'm not going to say the, the guy's name because I think he felt bad about tweeting this out. Um, it's, I mean, it's public knowledge who he is and and what he wrote. He's not a bad guy. He was very sorry about what he did. He delete he deleted this tweet. I'm just going. The tweet was, I broke a long-standing rule of mine not to watch movies made before 1975 so I could finally see Citizen Kane. Taught me a valuable lesson. These rules exist for a reason. So this is a guy guy who is, he works for a very high-profile newspaper in America. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, his follow-up tweet was, it feels like I'm looking at hieroglyphics. I'm sure there was a time where a lot of people got it and enjoyed it. That's not exactly entertaining to me. I'll agree in a term, Citizen Kane is one of those movies that people love to love um, and it is technically brilliant. It was ahead of its time. What uh, Orson Welles did with that movie was just mind-boggling how the studio gave him free reign over the picture at a time when it wasn't common. It still isn't common today. 
to have final cut on your own film or to call the shots yourself on your own film without the studio right down your neck. Uh, so that film's very important film. But I agree, it's really a little bit boring. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit tedious to watch yep, yep. on a narrative level. Technically, brilliant film, mm-hmm. and uh, the making of it is fascinating. Yeah. Um, but again, I agree. Maybe I understand if people can't enjoy it. But why completely blank out everything else before a certain... Like, why yeah, is why the, 75? Why, that's what why is the cutoff of 1975? Is that what I was saying before, where I feel like 80, 1980 is the cutoff where that's all classic cinema, this is all modern cinema? Maybe. Well, how, how old is this guy? Who knows? He, I, was he born in 75? I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe. He's an old, I think he's probably late. I don't, I don't know how old he is, but he's, he looks like he's probably older than me. Um, I don't know if he's of my generation. Is that um, that's him there. Um, I don't want to read it out. I don't feel no, like, no, no, don't. you know, I don't feel like throwing people under the bus or whatever. And I never, you know, want to tell people, go rally against this guy. No, no. That's silly. But this is just a, a tweet that has kind of rubbed me up the wrong way and it rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. Like, why? Why 19... You want to know some movies that came out prior to 1975 that still hold up today? Not necessarily movies that... Um, I'm saying he was born in 75. You reckon he was born in 75? That's probably it. He, a lot of people were saying, why 1975? He didn't answer it, right? He looks, he looks like he's about 40-odd. Yeah, I reckon. Mid, mid, uh, yeah. mid, mid-30s to 40. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. Easily. So I reckon maybe that's it. I'm not going to watch anything prior to when I was born. I don't know. But this guy felt pretty bad about it, and he was like, I'm sorry, it was slightly a joke, but it's kind of not really a joke. He tried to make a light of it, but the way he said it, oh, it's a valuable lesson, these rules exist for a reason, bit silly. The tweet's not out there. I don't hassle the guy because the guy got a lot of hassling on it. I just think it's a bit tone deaf. Um, but movies that came out prior to 1975, of course not everything's going to be everyone's cup of tea. Not everyone's going to go and watch the, the great Buster Keaton film from 1912, a silent epic sort of film. But here are some movies prior to 1975 that I personally think still hold up today as really good films that modern audiences will still enjoy. Mm. The Godfather 1 and 2, 1972 and 1974. Right? Yep. Cool Hand Luke, 1967. Now, that's right just film. a cool film. It's a great really film. Really good movie. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, 1969. Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke's up there yep. on the wall, yeah. 12 Angry Men is one of the greatest oh, films yeah, ever yeah, made, yeah. 1957. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The writing in that, it's like a bottle film where it's all set in this one room where these 12 jury members are arguing um, to, to seal the fate of this guy. Did he? Did, was this guy a murderer or whatever else? And it's like two hours of them just arguing in this room. Incredible. It's a masterclass in writing. Hitchcock films from the 1970s, Psycho, it's 57, sorry, 1950s, 60s, Psycho, Rear Window, The Birds, Vertigo, To Catch a Thief. I think these movies all still hold up now as really oh, good movies. Most definitely. Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961. So these are films that I just feel are timeless and it's they don't feel old. So a lot of old movies you watch, feels dated, it's very old. There's been a lot of talk about Gone with the Wind recently, how Gone with the Wind has aged and not in a very good way. Um, but a lot of these movies, a lot of movies in the particularly the 50s, 60s, 70s, even earlier, still hold up. Talk about Frank Capra films like It's a Wonderful Life, oh, yeah. like 1930s films um, that he did. Still hold up just as really good films. So I think we shouldn't... Um, 
we shouldn't discredit movies because of when they were made or how they were made or if they're in colour or if they're in black and white. I know a lot of people, this has sparked up, and a lot of people going, yeah, I won't watch anything that's in black and white. Um, someone was like, oh, I, watched, I wanted to watch Psycho, which was made in 1960, but that was shot in black and white. Why? Sort of thing, mm. you know? Um, and it's like, why discredit this art because of how old it is or how it was made? It doesn't change the fact that it's a good story. Well, as we said before, a good story is a good yeah. story. Now, how many, how many, I wonder, I wonder how many, how many films this particular guy has watched mm. yeah. that are remakes of old films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you get onto, you got to so do, do a wiki. Yeah, you were on there there's a, there's a page on wiki that is um, uh, old, uh, about old films that have been yeah. made, made in modern day. Yeah. And there is a list of hundreds, hundreds if of not thousands. And you might not know it half the time because they change the title. Exactly it's a remake. Right. Exactly. Yeah, like, Things like Gone in 60 Seconds yeah. and uh, Fast and Furious. Furious and uh, just a whole heap of stuff. So many movies. Yeah. Just a heap of them. Well, Star is Born, how many times was that done? Oh, exactly. And right. everyone loved the new version yeah. with Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper. That's you done know? in the 60s, the, the 70s, so if, 60s, 50s, 20s. So if he's saying you won't watch anything pre that, maybe yeah. you shouldn't be watching anything yeah. that was made, made yeah. uh, remade of a film prior to yeah. 75. Yeah, because it's that story. Again, we took the hero's journey which is that formula that's been replaced, has been repeated over and over and over again. Mm. We've seen it in the magnificent. Oh, we saw it in. Um, sorry, the Seven Samurai. Yes, that was then the uh, the Seven Samurai, which was the Akira, uh, Akira Kurosawa film. The Samurai film was remade uh, as a Western film as the Magnificent Seven, and George Lucas borrowed heavily from the formats that Akira Kurosawa was using um, for Star Wars. And yeah. the old John Wayne Western, The Searchers. You know, these all follow that same, um, that same formula of this guy that's plucked from nowhere who then becomes a, hero, a grand hero through this mystical journey, learns about himself and the, what he learns about himself or herself um, change, helps, you know, drives a story and helps inform the character of what's going on in the wider world and helps them rise Rise to the, uh, what do you say? Pinnacle? Yeah, just. So, <laughs> again, a character that I'm studying at the moment for a character in evolution is a character that has his roots in mythology, mm. Greek mythology. Um, and I wouldn't even, have known that. You didn't know that? that? No, I didn't. No. Well, you've got, even bibli- like biblical, he has roots in the Bible. Mm. And you go back to all these sort of biblical texts and these classic mythologies like Homer's The Odyssey. Um, and you've got these these uh, heroes that were larger than life for one reason or another, who then and now in modern day, you were getting characters who were created. Thor and. Thor. Yeah, you know. God of Thunder. God of Thunder. Captain America. You yeah. know, it borrows these elements from myths, thousand-year-old myths. Mm. That's that idea of these stories that were told around campfires that for thousands of years and then. You know, they were turned into books and then the books were turned into serials and then the serials were turned into movies and we're still seeing movies based mm. on these stories that were told a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, so, again, at the end of the day, a good story is a good story, so why should it matter when the film was made? Exactly Just right. because in black and white or and someone then, talks a little bit funny. And, you know, people like that probably watch films to today's standard. Yep. 
I like I've always said to you mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. You've got to watch it yep. for the time it was made, yep. not for today's Absolutely. not to today's yep. standard, because it's not going to be as good as a film made today no because they didn't have the technology. Yeah, but you've got to look on a, on a technical level yeah. anyway. Yeah, you've got to look. You've got to look at it for for the time it was made and the technology they had available at yep. the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know. And I feel like if anyone's listening out there, if you're a younger a person who's just getting into film or is just looking into studying film or you don't know where to start, it's going to be hard at first to watch these old films. I understand it and I understand why it's difficult for people to get into them. When I first started watching old films, I was like 17, maybe 16, 17. I mean, my favourite movie of all time is The Wizard of Oz, so I was watching that forever, but that feels timeless. That's a movie that doesn't feel like it was of its age. Um, which is why I love it so much, and we'll dive deeply into that at some point, I'm sure. Mm. But that film changed cinema, and it's still today, I feel like a movie has never been, a movie's never surpassed the timelessness of that film, because that feels like it was made last year. Yeah. You know, in a sense. First, some of the first older movies I was watching was stuff like Casablanca, or, again, Citizen Kane, the James Dean films, um, you know, film noir, old film noirs. It's tough to get into the stuff. Hitchcock was a lot of my mm, early experience mm. too. It is tough to get into it and I understand it because the black and white is something you do have to get used to. The funny accents, that the little fly flying around. Oh, it's just hit me. <laughs> that little um, the performance styles even. I can understand why someone is put off by this. Yeah, yeah. But don't let that deter you from the fact that these are still really great movies. They just... Made a bit differently because got, of what you, was the you've got you've got to look at them for their story yeah line. not 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 the technical um, achievements I suppose yeah. so I I think and then you look at then you look at things like uh, let's say for argument's sake Superman the first Superman mm-hmm. uh, the Richard was it Richard, Richard Donner film yeah the first Richard Donner Superman the nineteen eighty the seventy eight yeah. one yeah um, the technology wasn't there to make mm-hmm. Superman fly but they made yeah. it work yeah. And that was a stepping stone yeah. for the next person to come along yeah. and better it. Yeah. And each film, each not so much Superman film, but yeah. each film of that sort of, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of genre, that, not even that yes. genre, but that. Well, big blockbuster. Yeah. Um, well, because before has, that. Has wanted to better the one before. Yeah. So the film that was made, what was that made in 77 or something? 78? Came out 78, okay. the year after Star Wars. So that was made in 78. And that's another one, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the technology, no. but he Inventive. created the technology. Yeah. So you have to watch these movies for what for they what mean they meant for the to time. cinema. And you watch like I without those without films like like mm-hmm. say and and, and they're, they're the two most important ones to me. I mm-hmm. in my view is the yep. first Superman, yeah, made in nineteen seventy seven, nineteen seventy eight, and the first Star Wars yep. made in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, they were the I I think they were the two films that allow us to have what we have today mm-hmm. in the way films are made. Yeah. Because they're the, they, they were the two films that started to create special effects, real special yep. effects. Yeah. Well, you could also make an argument for Close Encounters that came out the same year yeah. as Star Wars. Yeah, it's true. Um, and Jaws, which came out in 75. It's the first film that's commonly considered the, the first blockbuster. Yeah. That's the film that coined the phrase blockbuster because people lined up around the block to see the movie, yeah. and it had never happened before in the cinema. Mm. No one had ever lined up, like lines around the block. No one had busted the block before, yeah. um, before Jaws. So you get these movies. It's in that say in that period, seventy five to seventy eight. Yeah. Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Star Wars, Superman. 
these movies are just this pivot. And again, I feel like we are at another point like that in in well, how, technology just taking yeah. another huge step, yeah. really. But that's what George Lucas always wanted to do with Star Wars. With his films, he wanted to push technology with every single one. That's a big part of why he did 4, that's 5, why and went, 6. But yeah, that's why he went back yeah. and, re, and recut and, re, and, yeah. and things like uh, Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, yeah. You redid know, the animation redid and the stuff. Redid the animation and all that sort of stuff. But like, those, he, didn't, he didn't want to make 1, 2, and 3 first because the technology wasn't there to do yeah. those films. Yeah. But, and the technology wasn't there for 4, 5, and 6, but he cre- him and his team created it. Yeah, that's right. So we need to watch movies for what they are for the time, but it doesn't mean they're they're bad movies. Like they're once you watch enough of them, I don't want to say it's like an acquired taste, um, but I can understand how it's hard for someone to to get into watching mm. something that is a little bit older, maybe. Yeah. So um, I can I can I can understand that a lot because of my profession. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the in the in the early days, we were doing a lot of double exposures and stuff, and it was yep. all shot on everything was shot on film. Mm-hmm. So we were doing a lot of double exposures and, um, you know, personally having to create ways of producing certain images because yep. the technology wasn't there. Now I can go in and I can shoot two or three images and yeah. just blend them all together in Photoshop yeah. and it takes me half an hour. Yeah. Whereas it would have taken me two days before. Yeah. So it's the same It's the same sort of thing. You've got these people pushing those boundaries. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You know? Well, it's like... If we talk about like remakes and the same stories being repeated over and over again, I've watched so many films, like back from the 1910s, like the earliest films, silent films, stuff like that. Once you watch enough movies, you can start pinpointing where things came from. Yeah. You watch a movie that was made today and you go, I, get, I know where that's come from. Every time I see what's called the vertigo shot, the colloquial name yep. is the vertigo shot, yep. is that shot where you see it's like a close-up of someone and the background expands. Yeah. So it's almost like the background's going like this, and it's almost like the look on this person's face, like this weird thing. So how they do that is they zoom in zoom with the zoom lens they're as they're tracking yeah. backwards. Yeah. So it keeps that face in the frame, in the middle of the frame, while the background moves. Yeah. So they call that the vertigo shot because uh, Alfred Hitchcock used he that extensively that, yeah. in vertigo. Yeah. Like it had been used prior to that, but that was like the first like major use of it. So things like this, you do, you can pinpoint. You see it. You you see the vertigo shot used all the time yeah. in stuff. Marvel uses it a lot, and just random movies you make. It, oh, you see it, and every time I think, oh, vertigo oh, shot. I think of one shot in in you know, there's a couple of shots in um, Armageddon. Yeah, where they where they used yeah. it. Uh huh. You know, so <clears throat> so you got to everything that is new now is old. Is old. Yeah. It's all there, so there's no point in going. I'm not watching that movie because it's old. Because it's if it's a good movie, and this is something you did teach me when I was younger. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It doesn't matter when it was made, how old it is. It doesn't matter if it's in black and white or if it's in color. It doesn't matter what the social norms are of you watching the kind of film. It's a rom com or something, and you're a guy. I shouldn't watch a rom com. Fucking watch it. I fucking love my rom-coms. Notting Hill, When Harry Met Sally, the Adam Sandler films. Love some Actually. Of my fa- love Actually. They're some of my favorite. Pretty Woman. Some of my favorite movies of all time, right? And even if there is like a social stigma of don't, well, you can't watch that because you're a guy. Fuck that, man. Because cinema is cinema and a good story is a good story. Yeah. And just fucking watch it. Well, even things like, even things like uh, what was that one called? Um, Songs of the South or something? Was Song of the South. Song of the South. There's that the Disney one. Uh, that was banned. Oh yeah, Song of the Band, South. Of the that South. was the Disney yeah. one, yeah, with the, yeah. um, the the the. Well, it's sort of about it's set in post Civil War America. Yeah, slavery uh, and all slavery, those sorts of the things. Characters yeah. are 
they're ex-slaves, but they're still living on the plantation. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I understand. I understand why it's not mm. relevant today. Yeah. But it was relevant for the time it was made. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was relevant well, or, or whether you know, but it was acceptable then. At the yeah, time, well, see, if you know the, what I mean. Yeah, the interesting thing with Song of the South is it's a film that I feel like has been twisted over the years because it's not an inherently, it's not a racist film. The story is about, um, again, it's problematic. It's, there, it's pro, there's, some pro, uh, there's a lot of pro- problematic things about it, the way that the characters are portrayed. I can understand, yes, problematic. But the story, the core of that is this um, this older black man is living on a plantation. He's not a slave. That's one. Of, I feel like that's one of the um, misinterpretations of the film is that people think it's about these happy slaves living on a plantation. They're not slaves. It's set in post-Civil War America. They're still living on the plantation. Again, I understand it's a bit iffy. But this guy is telling stories to the children that come to him. And that's black children and white children. And the, sto- the story of the film is actually about acceptance and how these two boys, a young mm. black boy and a young white boy, should get along. Yeah. But over the years has been twisted yeah. into something completely what it is. But I, that, that's, that's a good point is that something like that you do have to view in the context of the time. Of the time it was yeah. made, that's right. You know, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, you wouldn't, nothing about that film was acceptable no, in this, this day no and way. age. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't then either, but, well, you know, it was more accept- it was more. People were more free it was, with that it wasn't, kind of thing. It wasn't as frowned upon yeah. back then. Mm. Not that that's a good thing, yeah. but but you've got to. My point is, you've got to you've got to look at cinema and film mm. for the time that it was yeah. made, not to today's standard. Yeah, exactly right. Because some of these have really important messages in them. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, uh, I just it's tough. It's like I just I just don't like. I just I can't stand that. It's like I'm not watching it because it's old, or I'm not watching it because it's a chick flick or I'm not watching it because it's in black and white or I'm not just it's a pretty narrow view it's such a narrow view that I think that's what I'm getting at and it really riles me up every time and these movies are so these are just important films and what they mean to cinema and what Martin Scorsese is saying we shouldn't forget these movies let's not just lump these all as a a piece of content or just a relic of the past Mm. that we don't need to revisit there's always an important reason to go back to these movies um, one example, you've, I think... You've got someone pretty close to you that's not into old film. Though. Yeah, my girlfriend, Alicia. <laughs> I'll say, let's watch this. It's a movie from 1980. It's old. I don't want to watch that. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then she'll watch something. I, we, I, we went, when we were in London, um, well, when we were in England, we went into London. We saw Amadeus playing at the... One um, of my favourite films of all time. Incredible film. Love it. It's played at the Royal Albert Hall. Almost pulled that out and watched it the other day, actually. Did you? Brilliant movie. It is, uh, what was that, 70s? Uh, no, it would be 84. 80s. 1984. Yeah. So that's, to Alicia, that's an old movie, yeah, right? Yeah. I was like, I have to see it. I'm a big Mozart and is fan. That, and is that because it's it predates her? Well, I think so, yeah. I think it is. Even a lot of, like, early 90s that's movies. This guy, I, was I, like, like, I reckon yeah. he was born in 75. I think, I think a lot of early 90s movies even, she's like, oh, that's too old. I'm not watching that. Yeah, she has. But I think so. I think it, I think there is a point now where she's starting to rile me up because she knows it starts no, to wind me up a little off. bit. Uh, so I think well, a lot of the time when she says it, it's it's tongue-in-cheek. Uh, yeah. tongue yeah. But there is something there which, like, I'm not watching that. That's old, right? Her favourite movie is Titanic, which is from the 90s. Um, but uh, but I, too, I I will I will I will say Titanic is a brilliant movie. James what game Cameron did with oh, that? I don't like it. Fantastic! It's a great <laughs> Look, movie. It's beautifully shot, beautifully made. But 
There's just something about it. Something you don't like that you don't connect with. I love it. I think it's great. But anyway, we saw Amadeus at the Royal Albert Hall. They had like a uh, the um, the symphonic band there playing the music, playing Mozart along with the film. One of those deals. Um, and oh, Alicia was like, I don't. She didn't um, protest against seeing it because you know it meant a lot to me. It yep. was like, okay, I'm going to come. I'll, I will see it with you. But it's always that thing where I know she's thinking, I'm not going to enjoy this. <laughs> it's like that thing where you feel like I'm being dragged along to something and I'll go because it means something to the person, but I'm not going to enjoy it, but I'm going to go anyway, right? Uh, so I understood that with her and she was like very happy, yeah, we'll go and see it because I know you love the movie, I know you love music and stuff. She loved it. Yeah. She thought the movie was brilliant. She enjoyed the music, the people, you know, the people playing the music at the Albert, you know, at the Royal Albert Hall, man, and the just that, Well, the that sound. film gave me a real love for... Classical music, yeah. Oh, it's not classical, Mozart. Mozart, yeah. Mozart music. Um. I think me too, in a way, yeah. Mm. That and like the Disney, like Fantasia and stuff yeah. like that really got me into classic music. And like how how you would never have got into Mozart if it wasn't for Amadeus. You That's know, right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of loops back. But yeah, she, Alicia loved it. Loved being there in that environment and hearing the music. And, you know, she's not a huge classical music lover, but loved the music and hearing them play and seeing the movie. And she thought the movie was great and funny and enjoyable and loved it. It was like, yeah, I loved that. So... Push yourselves. Push the boundaries. It can be hard sometimes to knock that wall down. Another example, Just enjoy classic cinema. Just enjoy it. Enjoy it. Another example, this is the last, and then we'll get on to... We need to move on. We've got some news. <laughs> I think we'll skim through some stuff. I'll drop some stuff off. Um, but um, at university, we studied... I had this one lecturer who refused to play any movies after, like, 70s or like after the 60s. So, again, it's a deal like mm-hmm. he's focusing specifically on classic films and he was um, always like, oh, I don't like the modern stuff. And a lot of the stuff he said at the time, you're like, pretentious knob. And I think I still agree with a lot of it. It's like it's discrediting film for the sake of discrediting film. I don't like that. But we had sunny things like Jean-Luc Godard, the movie like Breathless, Fellini, Eight and a Half, La Dolce Vita, Benoit, who did Belle de Jour, Great French film, Dali. We watched Citizen Kane. I thought a lot of these lessons were pretentious as hell. I mean, we couldn't wait to get out of there. Mm-hmm. It's like, and a lot of people there were like, "Oh, this is awful! Like, what are we doing this for?" Um, by the end of it, maybe even in hindsight, ten years later, I'm like, "These movies are incredible." And they're movies that I still think about now. And yeah. at the time, I was like, maybe like, Ugh, "Can't wait to get out of this French New Wave class." But since those lessons and the movies I've watched after that, I'm like, fucking hell, this guy had a point. Yeah. Because you see things that were invented in this French new wave cinema that are still being applied to films now that people are still looking at. Like the French new wave, they did these crazy things. Like they just broke the boundaries of what cinema was supposed to be, how you're supposed to make movies, the kind of shots and the kind of framings and all that kind of stuff, which is really avant-garde stuff. Um and people at the time was like, "Oh, this is this is this is different. We don't you know, it's, we don't want to watch this." But it became a real movement sort of thing. And I think even now, a lot of that stuff's jarring to people. And they use those techniques in movies now mm. to give you that sense of like that's not quite right. But I look back and I see something like that in a film, and I'm like, "Fucking hell!" It goes back to this, and yeah. it, that was so relevant what that guy was teaching us. And I still may not agree with some of the views he had, particularly on modern cinema or whatever. 
But the things he was saying was like, watch these movies. They are fucking important. If you want to understand cinema, you've got to watch a bunch of these movies that you may perceive to be pretentious and may be pretentious pieces of art. Maybe I've become a pretentious film viewer. I don't know. But I just, you see the, you, you get the appreciation now, you know, this distance and you watch all these movies. And you're like, fucking hell. Those are, so, they are important movies. And they're things I still, like Breathless and Belle de Jour are still films that I just, I think about constantly. Um, not because of what they meant, but the feeling and just, I don't know, push the boundaries. Get out of that little narrow thought, oh, I'm not watching anything prior to mm. this. Because there's a vast array of amazing films and um, just amazing stories and amazing technological innovations in cinema. Ryan Johnson in the, with The Last Jedi, Star Wars The Last Jedi, did this incredible sweeping um tracking shot that goes through the Canto Bike Casino. Say what you will about the scene, say what you will about the movie. Incredible shot. It goes through. It goes over like five different tables. Swarms right through all these tables. You see all the people like crowding around the camera as they're playing like cards or whatever. Goes through one table, goes through another table, like going through all these, weaving these ways through these people. Gets to the end and then Finn jumps into shot like this and he's like right in the middle of the shot. It's like, holy shit, that's like... Crazy, inventive shot. 1927, that exact same shot was done in Wings, which oh. is one of the very first films that, was, that ever won the Academy Award for Best Picture. That God. exact same shot, sweeping through four or five different tables, and you look back now and you go, how the fuck did they do that in 1927? Mm. And it's been reapplied in 2017 or 2018, when, yeah. whenever that movie came out. You know, Everything new is old. Yeah, Go back... Wings is such a fucking gorgeous movie. Yeah. Man, go back and watch that. There's like technological innovation in that. You've got shots where it's like bubbles popping out and there's people inside the bubbles and, you know, it's a movie from the t- 1927. Mm. Expand the boundaries. Even if something to you feels a little bit pretentious, it feels like maybe like, oh, I can't watch this black and white. I can't watch it for any reason. Just push it. If you don't enjoy it, that's fine. I'm not telling you you have to enjoy something because that's what I hate when someone says you have to enjoy this. You can't not you, – you, well, just you, form your own opinions and stuff, but there is a reason why these things are important for you to go and view and don't discredit. That's what I'm saying. Don't discredit things. And there's been a shitload – excuse me, there's been a shitload of stuff that you've watched and mm. I've watched mm. over the years that we haven't enjoyed, yeah. but we've watched it. Yeah. And understood why it was yeah. made. Well, yeah, a lot of these older movies as well, you'll watch you don't particularly like for a reason. That's fine. People have different tastes and you're allowed to enjoy something that someone else didn't mm. enjoy. Titanic, for yeah. example, or JCVD films, yeah. for example. Um, but you'll always pull something from it. And I think that's, I think that's why you, you have to view film. And that's why I always say that it's just as important to watch a bad movie as it is to watch the good ones because you can dissect and go, why didn't it work? Mm. You can't just watch a movie, movies that you know are going to be good and go, oh, that worked because of this. Watch a bad movie and go, why didn't that work? Why don't I like this? Why mm. is this not working for me? Why was that camera angle? Why didn't that work for me? Why was this story? Why did this story didn't work? Why can't I connect with the story? Why was the acting bad? Why was the script bad? Break it down because mm. you will learn as much dissecting a bad piece of art. It's still a piece of art. You'll learn just as much as, again, it's not, uh, it's still subjectively bad because there's someone who's going to like, there's, everything's going to be liked by someone. So to you, if a piece of art is subjectively bad, um, why? Why is it that way? And I don't like to use the words like, this is a bad movie or I hate this movie. 
because I can't hate something, and I, I think um, just saying something flat out is bad. You know why? Mm. Why is it bad? And as I'm saying, another tangent here, but watching a bad movie and dissecting why or subjectively bad movie and watching that and going, why doesn't this work for me, will teach you just as much as watching a good movie will teach you about good filmmaking. Well, that's that old saying, isn't it? Yeah. You don't, you, don't learn, you don't learn anything from being right all the time. Yep. You learn from mistakes. Mm-hmm. Are these Jean-Claude Van Damme films, man? Mm-hmm. I'm watching them. They're really they're terrible. Yep. And I'm watching them and going, um, but why is this bad? Why is this a terrible film? But then finding some enjoyment in just the stupid, like, karate moves and he jumps up, he kicks two people in the head and then you go, why is this so... Why? What is it about this that makes me feel it's so bad but it's so enjoyable at the yeah. same time? Um, so, that, that again, that comes back to why we will keep a movie that we don't particularly like in the collection. Mm. Uh, because it's always there and it's always a piece of reference and yep. it's um, you, will learn, you will learn something from any movie you watch, whether you like mm. it or you don't like it. Something that's an important thing. Push your boundaries. And, Look, I remember. Um, uh, I remember when I was going through college back in the mm. early eighties or whatever it yeah. was. Um, we in some of my in some of my classes, um, and I'm not in moving pictures. I mean, yeah, I yeah. create stills. I yeah. create stills. But we watched a lot of film like mm. Dali. What's it called? The um, 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 Chenandlu. The, yeah, the, um, the Benwell. Oh, jeez. That was the one he did with the, um, yeah. Andalusian, no, Andalusian, Andalusian Dog. dog yeah. was called, yeah. The French name was um, Andalusian. Yeah. Andalusian. Yeah. Uh, that and Citizen Kane and a few other old films yeah. we'd watched. And mm-hmm. we and, and at the time I didn't understand the yeah. relevance. Mm-hmm. But the relevance was it was about waking up your your visual appetite. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was mm-hmm. about the art. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. all part of what that is. Yeah, exactly right. I feel like this has been a very Let's move on. I mean, yeah. It's gone on forever. Until I was 20. Sorry for going so long, guys. Such a, we're just so engrossed in what we're talking about. Yeah, um, I feel like it's a very different episode today than normal. But yeah, it's all right. I hope you guys in, uh, I hope it's been enjoyed okay. It. Let yeah. me know, please. Or if you've switched it off halfway through, it's rambling about these. Again, I don't know if I've become a pretentious film fan or maybe it's just over time you just... Um, know what you like. You know what you like and you begin to appreciate more. And I have, over my time watching movies, grown... And appreciation for everything. And people say, why are you watching a bad movie? Well, that's why. Why yeah. are you buying a movie that you don't think you like? Well, that's why. Because why won't I like it? What is this movie going to teach me? Yeah. Right. Okay, so yeah. moving on. Lessons in everything in life. Exactly right. Um, we'll skip a few things that I've got down here. There's a bunch of movies that have just been newly announced. We'll rapid fire just through rap, these. Just um, because there's not a lot to talk about anyway. Paddington is getting a third movie. Oh, that's all right. Excited? Yeah. Yeah, I love the, the first two. Time. The second one with Hugh Grant where he was in the jail. He's doing that dance. One of the greatest films ever made, but yeah. they were enjoyable. Oh, they fun. Just, just fun, fun films. innocent movies. Um, that's coming out from Studio Canal. They haven't confirmed anything other than the fact that it is coming out, um, which is going to be exciting. And obviously Ben Wishaw is probably back on board as Paddington. Um, we've got a new Wes Anderson film on the way. Actually, the, he's got one coming out this year called The French Dispatch, which looks really, really good. That's got the regular cast of people like Bill Murray and Owen Wilson, etc., etc., <laughs> Angelica Houston, etc., etc. Looks really great. But he's got another one that he's apparently working on at the moment. Uh, no title, no information on the movie, but he's apparently cast Michael Sarah. And Jeff Goldblum, oh, a couple watch, of wacky, couple of wacky <laughs> peoples. Of course, Goldblum did Life Aquatic, um, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Isle of Dogs um, with Wes Anderson. This is Michael Sarah's first movie. 
But people have been calling for Sarah to do one of these wacky Wes Anderson yeah. films for a long time. Yeah, uh, so that'll be exciting. I'll and look I, forward to that. I think watching those two work off each other will be kind of uh, interesting as well. Um, Tim uh, Tim Burton. Um, remember. Uh, Probably back in October, there was chatter about Tim Burton working on some sort of Adams Family yeah, yeah. project. Yep, that's right. Yep. Uh, they've confirmed that what he's doing is actually a TV show for Netflix based on Wednesday Adams oh. as a detective. Oh, yeah! So it's going to be like a detective kind of thing. He's apparently it's going to be eight episodes. He's going to direct the first one. The showrunners are Alfred Goff and Miles Miller, who showrun Smallville. Uh, oh. They come up with a concept and are attached to it. And of course, Burton's going to put his Burton spin on it all. And yeah. Sounds it could be interesting. Who knows? Yeah. Depends what route they they might go with, like the young adult sort of um, route with it, like CW kind of stuff. But with Tim Burton's sure. spin on it, might be interesting. Could be very interesting. Could be very interesting. I'm not a huge Burton fan, but I'll watch his stuff. Yeah. For sure, I'm the same. I love a lot of his older stuff. I'm not a huge fan of his newer stuff, but I always watch it. Uh, here's a good one. This one's a newly announced one called Bullet Train. Um, Deadline reported this. This is weeks ago. This is something I've been dying to talk about for a few weeks. Sandra Bullock and Brad Pitt will team up on the screen for the very first time. Weird pairing? Yeah. Never been in a film together before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be called Bullet Train. It's for Sony. It'll also star Joey King, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Zazie Beetz, Michael Shannon, Logan Lerman, Marcy Elka, and Andrew Koji. It's directed by David Leach, who did Atomic Blonde, Deadpool mm-hmm. 2, Fast and Furious, Hobson Shaw... Um, and he was an uncredited director on the first John Wick. So we know it's going to be action-packed, it's going to be exciting, it's going to be big. Um, and it's an action flick based on the Japanese novel Maria Beetle. Uh, the synopsis is five assassins find themselves on a fast-moving bullet train from Tokyo to uh, Morioka with only a few stops in between. They discover their missions are not unrelated to one another. question becomes who will make it off the train alive and what awaits them at the terminal station. Um, so yeah, it's going to team up. Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock for the very first time. They both done, a lot of people think that they've done a movie together, but this is because Brad Pitt did the original Oceans films and then Sandra Bullock did, did the this, new one. Yeah. Um, and people, I tend to, I also get Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock confused some of the time. Like, I don't get them confused, but it's like one of the, those two people that you just kind of yeah, mix, yeah, up mix up all yeah, the time. Yeah. So I'm always thinking, hang on, she was in the Oceans films. No, it was Julia Roberts and she. Sandra Bullock did the new one, so mm, even I get mm. a little bit conf- you know the two the yep. two big uh, yeah, female yeah. stars of the nineties around the same time. Um, yeah. But, but uh, Brad Pitt has also was also a big star from around the same time too. And for them two not to have ever crossed over in a film before, it's a bit strange. Do another romance there, Pitt and Bullock. Pitt and Bullock, maybe. What would they call themselves? Pittock, Pittock, or Pittock. Bull Pit, Bull Pit, <laughs> Pitbull, Pitbull, Pitbull. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, let's get some subscriber questions in. I actually have to make sure how much time we've got left on the camera, rolling on the camera. I think we've got 15 minutes. So okay, let's let's, um, let's get, push it to like two and a half hours. Get in a couple of subscriber and listener okay, questions. Okay, Anthony in. Fisher, Patreon. Yes, wonderful guy. This guy's been following for a long time. Has he? He sent me some slip covers for Disney. Oh, yes, discs another a while one. Ago. Yeah, he wrote us one. a lovely message for Christmas. Yes, a he Christmas certainly card. did. Thank you for yes, that, Anthony. We did get that. Much appreciated. That was, yeah. Yep. Do you think do you think Cruella will uh, will be able to open in cinemas, or do you think Disney may go down the same lost the page same <laughs> route as they are with Raya and the hybrid uh, release? Mm-hmm. I'm just asking 
uh, as that trailer never actually uh, said where it was going. Uh, yeah, I didn't notice that. Interesting. I did notice that they didn't plaster Disney Plus on the trailer. Um, so, of course, the new trailer, DeVille trailer, dropped this week. It's like a remake of 101 Dalmatians, sort of a prequel to the live-action ones they did in the 90s with Glenn Close. Um, look, I think Disney is probably still up in the air about what they're doing with their slate. I wouldn't be surprised if... I think they're probably waiting for Raya and the Last Dragon to open up in a couple of weeks' time. That one's doing the split model where it's opening on Disney Plus and in cinemas on the same day. Um, I think that they're going to charge. It's going to be a premier access title, so you've got to pay to watch it on Disney Plus. Or you can go and see it in a cinema where cinemas are open and they're safe to go. I think they're probably going to wait to see how Raya does. And if that's a successful model, they will probably apply it to Cruella, maybe Black Widow and whatever other movies they've got, uh, Jungle Cruise, whatever else they've got uh, lined up for the rest of the year. I think, they're, I think they're waiting. And that is why they're not very specific about it in that trailer or on the poster uh, because it's, uh, it's still up in the air, I think. And I think studios now are a little bit, um, nervous about trying to set things in stone when they know it could just change at the drop of a hat. But I personally think if Raya does well, and I think it will, uh, they will probably apply that model to, to mm. the rest of their, their films yeah. for the rest of the year. Um, okay, this one here, this okay. next question by Walter Sorza. Yep. I want you to answer, as I mentioned each film, right. yes or no. That's all yep. I want. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen movies like Sky High? No, but it's been on my wish list for a long time. It's sitting out there waiting to be Yes watched. or no. Apparently it's great. Yep. Thin Red Line? Yes. Babe? Yes. Tropic Thunder? Yes. Original Superman movie? Yes. Haven't we all? Yeah. Uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral? Yes. Gone Baby Gone? Multiple times, yes. Billy Madison? Yeah, <laughs> many, many times. times. Uh, Three Tender Humor? Absolutely. That was a great film. Yeah. Uh, Panic Room? Yeah. Huh? Lock, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? Yes. Love it. Uh, Beavis, and, Beavis and Butthead Do America? No. Freddy versus Jason? Parts of it. Cloverfield? Yes. Last King of Scotland? Yes. Golden Eye? Yes. Eight grade, no, and poltergeist, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. hope that answers the question. Fandom, <laughs> fandom, you. fair. I know you like. I know you like Looney Tunes. Yep. So do you think there are? Too, do you think there are too many reboots? I'm excited while Willie, while Wild Willie, <laughs> while Wiley, <laughs> Willie, well, that's how it's written there. Willie Coyote, uh, Wiley Coyote uh, movie. He says, are there too many reboots? Um, yeah. uh, he's excited <laughs> for the Wiley e. Coyote <laughs> movie, right? Um, right? I don't think there's ever such thing as too many reboots. I think these are characters that have been around since, some of them since the 1920s, 1930s. Um, and I think these characters are always relevant. And the only way they stay relevant is if you keep rebooting them. Again, goes back to that idea of something being Something that's new is old. To keep these characters in the cultural conversation, and these characters are still big. People still love Bugs Bunny and, and whatever, Daffy Duck, whatever else, Wiley Coyote. Um, to keep them culture relevant, you've got to just keep rebooting them. And that's fine because then they fall out of the public eye like Felix the Cat. No one really does anything with Felix anymore and no one talks about mm-hmm. Felix. So I think it's always important whether you like them or not. I said this to you earlier. It was that like people get annoyed now. Oh, why are you remaking The Lion King? Why are you making The Lion King twice in my lifetime? The first one came out when you were a kid, right? I was that was the first movie I ever saw in a cinema. I was nearly thirty years old when the remake came out. Mm. I think about something like Flubber, which came out when I was a kid, as a remake of a film that came out when you were a kid. Yeah, right. Came out in the nineteen sixties. The yep. Absent Minded Professor yep. and Son of uh, Son of Flubber. So reboots. I don't have a problem with sequel uh, remakes. I don't have a problem with because they're part of keeping that cultural conversation, keeping those stories, which alive. again, in some cases, have yep. been around for a thousand years, alive and in the cultural conversation. Yep. Next, 
Auric Entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment. Favorite ah. Capra. Favorite Cap Frank. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. It's been a bit favorite too long for you. Frank. Capra, yeah, I'm missing my afternoon nap. Yeah, uh, favorite uh, Frank Capra film. Right, my my number one has to be, and this will be yours too. Will be um, it's a wonderful life. Oh, uh, I love but it. But I also adore. Um, 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 it's, so, it's so late now. Uh, we've been on this so long that the name is slipping me. And I mentioned it earlier too. Uh, Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert. It happened one night. I got it in the end. That one, <laughs> Lost Horizon, Mr. Smith, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Mr. Deeds Go to Town. They're all like the 1930s Capra films. Fucking amazing films. Incredible. You'll watch them and you'll not realise you watch a movie that's made in the 30s. Mm. Amazing writing. The performances are fantastic. Yes, get on them all. Get on, they're all available on Blu-ray. Do it. The Geek Squad. Yep. The Geek Squad asks, would you ever direct a movie if you had the opportunity? Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. Um, what are we with? Jesse, Jess Man. Yep. Uh, what is one video game, cartoon, or toy line you think could be pulled off as a live action movie, live action cinematic universe? video game for you? I think I know yours. Would be. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, who? Yeah, there's two actually. I'm thinking of right now. Oh, there's only one. Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, that's what I was me. thinking of. But about Mr. Nuts. Imagine Mr. Oh, Nuts. Oh, Mr. Movie. Nuts. <laughs> oh, Lord, yeah. I love Mr. Nuts. There has to be. Sure, there's got to be a Crash Bandicoot movie at least at some there point. It has to be. Like at Sonic's some point. done so well, they're doing a yeah, second yeah. one. Um, so yeah, that, as far as video games, them for sure. But I would like to see if we're talking about like action figures, Mighty Max. Remember Mighty Max, the little yes, ones? Yes. It was like the the, yes. the boy version of my little uh, of Polly Pocket. Probably still got a pile of them. Probably in a bucket yeah. up on the roof. Mighty Max, make yeah. a Mighty Max film. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sideshow <laughs> side Krusty. Yeah. Dave, have you ever have you ever played any musical instruments? Yes, I played the saxophone, the alto saxophone, for many years, and I, I have not picked it up for about fifteen years. But I'm adamant that I could still play it. I'm adamant I could still pick it up and play it. I doubt it. I can read music. I reckon I still know the the fingering. I reckon I, maybe we should do it on the podcast. A little bit of guitar, a little bit of little bit of guitar, tiny bit of piano. Yeah, I used to play really piano really. as a kid, but very, very not like like so, the yeah, Rugrats so. theme song. The gold, the gold shredder. What yep. comics do you read, and is there any that you think are underrated? Okay, firstly, comics. I don't read a whole lot. Um, I read a lot of the Marvel, like my favorite Marvel co- uh, comics is like the early stuff, the nineteen sixties stuff, the origin story kind of things. They're like the eighties uh, comics storylines are really good too. Um, that's kind of the one I read if I if I ever go towards comics. Um, well, if we say underrated, I always feel like that's a word we shouldn't use when we um, critique art. Again, I'm probably sounding pretentious, but I feel like underrated or even overrated just means someone likes this more than me or someone dislikes this or I like this more than someone else sort of thing. So I think we should use the words underappreciated. I think that's what I I sort of drift more towards. But that's not the point right here. I just it gets it gets me when someone calls something <laughs> underrated, underrated or overrated. No, underrated doesn't have as much of a um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's not as bad negative undertone. negative undertone. Yeah, as overrated. Oh, this guy likes this more than me. It's yeah. underrated. It's overrated. Whatever. Anyway, move on. Yeah. If you don't like Next. underrated, Radical Vlogs asks, oh, what, no. what is a sci-fi movie you think is underrated? Oh, no. Right, okay. <laughs> and that more uh, people should I'm watch. not having a go at you guys. I'm just saying I just feel like that's words we shouldn't use in critiquing art. I'm 
I am the pretentious movie guy. I've just realised it. Um, sci-fi movie, I think, is um, underappreciated. Uh, maybe Moon. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people oh, haven't Moon. seen Moon, Moon, which is the one with uh, Sam Rockwell. Yes. Really great, really great twist. Where uh, he? No, I'm not going to spoil the twist, but it's a no. great movie. It's brilliant. Check that one out. Um, it's not even that old. Uh, glossy tadpole. Yeah. 53, what is your favourite Star Wars and right. your favourite MCU Favourite Star Wars movie is uh, the very exactly first Star Wars, yep. 1977. A New Hope. Sometimes I refuse to call it A New Hope <laughs> because that? it was not originally released as A New Hope. No, that's But true. now I'm start- starting to sound like one of those Star Wars fans. But no, the original Star Wars, A New Hope, is my favourite of the Star Wars films. Um, and my favourite MCU film, it's hard because I really love Infinity War and Endgame, but I love... Um, Captain America the Winter Soldier I just think it's like a perfect movie I know your favourite MCU film Which one? Hey, yeah, I'm asking you Mine yeah. would be Oh of course It's got to be um, The very first um, yeah, This is the one I'm thinking of <laughs> yeah. Iron Man yep, yep, that's First the one. Iron Man for me Yeah, That's it That's it. And Star Wars of course It's yep. um, A New Hope That one as well Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Oh, that was a long one. show, two and a half hours. We're running out of tape on the camera. We're going to have an afternoon nap now. Yeah, showing my age, I just said we're running out of tape on the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Running out of card space. Look, guys, a bit of a fiery show, a little bit of a pretentious dive. And it went a bit long. It went very long. I'm sorry. Every time we have you in the studio, it's very long. But we had a lot of packed in here. I hope it's okay. I hope you didn't mind it. I honestly really want you to write in and just let me know your thoughts on where we took this podcast. Um, because I feel it went well. Oh, I thought it was a good conversation. Really enjoyed that we one, dived into some good yep. stuff. And I feel like if people are receptive to that... Got we'll, some shit we'll, off your chest. Absolutely. Oh, it's actually, <laughs> stuff I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, so I feel like if that is where you like... If you like that conversation, we'll take the podcast there more often, I think. Um, of course, these podcasts go... So, yes, write in. Let me know, please, any way you can. Twitter, Instagram, in the comments below, if you're watching on YouTube. Send me an email, davelypod at gmail, wherever. Just please, if you're listening out there, and I know there's like a thousand of you every week who are listening to this, but just let me know, please. Um, and we'll if, attempt to make it listen to it. <laughs> yeah, we will attempt. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, it's very long. And if, if this is too long, tell me. You're an idiot, Dave. It's too long. Um, okay. Listen to it over two or three sessions. Yeah, exactly right. People love that, don't they? But going to work, coming home from work, and just chill and whatever. Yep. Um, go, the podcast goes out every single Monday on all podcasting platforms or the major ones. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Audible. Uh, the visual element goes out on YouTube. Uh, that's uh, up at the same time, but two days earlier it goes out to patron supporters. If you'd like to be a patron supporter for as little as a dollar a month, you go to patreon.com forward slash Under. You can find me on YouTube at Under, over on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd. Uh, there's links in the description of every podcast. Podcast and um, links for the podcast platforms too. If you again, if you want to write into the show, DaveLeePod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on the podcast, we really want re- just please let us know. Either leave us a review and a rating. We'd love that. It helps, only good ones. Only the good ones helps us get the stuff out there. And again, feedback is always welcome. I don't. I always like to know what you guys are. I'm always like really um, conscious, ha- conscious, uh, so, like um, and uh, yeah, you're nervous that people aren't enjoying. But uh, I, I want to know. But the feedback, like the listenership's going up every week, which is good. So we must be doing something right. Um, again, uh, and just quickly, yes. your posters. I keep forgetting to say. Should have said at the top of the show. Hopefully, no one's tuned out by now. 
that if you're, particularly if you're watching on YouTube, we're thinking about maybe changing the posters on the wall that are behind us. We've got a lot of classic films. This is not about erasing the classic films from no. the thing, but we're kind of thinking that like, these have been up for about six years now, maybe pushing seven years, and I feel like they're getting a bit tired. I feel like they're the yeah. same thing. We want to maybe change the posters up a little bit, and we want to get your feedback on, um, on what we should replace it with, and whether that is posters for older movies, uh, whether it's newer movies, anything, because we're going to embrace the whole world of cinema, whether it's old stuff, whether it's new stuff, it's anything in between. We just love movies. So anyway, write in, let us know what, what you'd like to see in the background there uh, for sure. Look, this week on YouTube, uh, we've got the grand re- uh, return of Cartoon Evolution for the year. We've got one for Tom and Jerry's Spike and Tyke, which I'm doing to try and... Um, the movie's coming out this week, Tom and Jerry, so it's a nice little business move on my <laughs> on my behalf to try and get out something. I want to be a Jump bit... on the back. I would, yeah, I'm getting on the bandwagon. Um, I, I feel like I want to be more relevant with my content this year. So that one's coming out this month. Um, it's actually my 20th Cartoon Evolution. Not including the Disney ones. It's a 20th under the Cartoon Evolution banner. Okay. How's that? So I've done That's my 20th podcast and I've done 20 evolutions. Yeah, it's a lot. It's just too much work. Um, think, think about that. That's a year's work. Here's a year's two, two to yeah. three weeks every, yeah. every well, one exactly of them. right. Yeah. Yeah. Been doing it for a long, 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 long time. So 20, uh, 21, uh, sorry, 20 of them. There's 20 podcasts. It's a big celebration this week. Uh, thank you guys for supporting, for listening, for watching, for helping me, you know, encourage me and, and make, that's the only reason I keep making stuff is because you're out there, you're watching, you're supporting. Um, I'm going to upload uh, voice evolutions for Spike and Tyke as well. Last week I put up preview videos for Disney and uh, Disney Animate. Uh, I put up my preview videos for animated films and for the Disney films that are coming out in 2021, so you can check them out. I also did a breakdown of the Cruella trailer. A bunch of cartoon news went up last week, as well as uh, WandaVision, like Endings Explains and all that. That's it, guys. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. I don't know what's happening on the show next week, but I'll see you then, hopefully. See you, guys. uh, Take it easy, guys.